Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 204 with my guest, Lauren Ashley Bishop. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Oh, for Christ's sake. It ain't no doctor's office. I ain't no therapist. It's a waiting room. It doesn't suck. I don't like I I don't care for what I'm doing right now. I'm not a fan of it. I will not subscribe to the newsletter. And I wish to be unsubscribed from all future mailings by this character that I just went into. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. I'm going to blame it on Santa. Santa is fucking with me. Uh, the website, who gives his shit with the website is for this show? Let's get to some surveys. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention before uh, that is we've been having some issues with the forum, and I was trying to fix it, and I deleted about a third of the forum. Yeah, threads of posts that people have been uh, going back and forth on for years, gone. <laughs> oh, that... Uh, I apologize. I'm I'm talking to our web guy and seeing if any of it can be retrieved, but it looks like uh, a lot of it has been lost, so I'm going to stop beating myself up and just apologize. We do what we can here on a shoestring budget, and sometimes, uh, you know, the guy without the electrician's license is the guy that has to rewire the house, so that's uh, that's that. Uh, this is from the Struggle in a Sentence Survey. And uh, let's see, this one is uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself not quite drowning. 
And about his depression, I really like this one. He says, depression is having to serve everyone you meet a cup of your energy from a bucket riddled with holes. Oh, that is, that is so dead on. Uh, about his love addiction, he, he writes, please see me so I know that I am real. A snapshot from his life. I'm such a fucking people pleaser that standing next to anyone resets my opinions and preferences to factory default. Thank you for that. This is from Jenny O. And uh, she writes about her depression. Not strong enough to really live? Failure. Not strong enough to kill yourself? Failure. Uh, About her sex addiction. I'm a horrible fucking person watching rape porn the second my significant other leaves the room. Uh, about being a sex crime victim. Truth stalks me day and night, waiting for the moment I slip up and stop minimizing. If I look directly at it, I know it's going to devour what's left of who I am. Thank you for that. Uh, this is uh, this is from a guy I think I could definitely be buddies with. He calls himself Fat Piece of Shit. Just right to it. No, no mixing words, no mincing words, uh, no... No dancing around the topic. Fat piece of shit. Uh, About his compulsive eating, he writes, I just ate a whole box of strawberry frosted mini wheats. A whole fucking box. I feel like such a weak, worthless turd. Snapshot from his life. After getting sick on the cereal, I stopped at McDonald's on the way to work. I cried when I pulled away. Buddy, I just want to give you a hug and let you know that you are so fucking not alone in that. Anybody dealing with an addiction feels that same way. It's like they're watching themselves drive to go engage or go to the room where they do whatever it is that they do or pull out the razor or go to shoplift or go to the liquor store, whatever it is. And and here's why I especially want to give those of you who compulsively overeat a fucking hug is because you have to wear the wreckage of your addiction on your body. A lot of us, you know, I was able to throw my empties in the garbage can. You know, a lot of people that shoplift, people don't know that the stuff they have around their house is, is, is stolen. But you have to. Um, you can't hide it as easily as we do. And um, try to try to be compassionate with yourself because hating yourself is only going to make you want to overeat more. Um, and make sure you're talking to somebody. Do not try to deal with this just on your own. It's it's just too. It's addiction is too fucking insidious. Um, but we're sending you some love, buddy. Uh, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself currently binging, and uh, he write his he struggles with a men- mental handicap, a dyslexia, and dyspraxia. He writes, I feel like how I experience the world must be fundamentally flawed. I feel like I will never have the experiences most people have. Stable job, partner, shelter. Highlight uh, snapshot from his life. A shop assistant asked me if I needed help with anything, and I desperately wanted to respond with, do you have anything that will make me want to not kill myself? Thanks. Thank you for that. Uh, This was filled out by a guy who calls himself Olfar. And about his compulsive shopping and hoarding, he writes, Fuck you, Goodwill. I have no reason not to buy a bag of used pens for a buck fifty. (laughs) Oh, that one made me laugh. 
this is filled out by uh, a girl who calls herself blah, blah, blah. She's a teenager. And about being a sex crime victim, she writes, someone has taken my identity and given me a riddle to try to understand life. And then a snapshot from her life. I was driving on back roads. There were hailstones and sleet and torrential downpour, downpours. For the past two weeks, I've been feeling great, openly talking to people. But in the moment, I took a corner too fast and I could no longer feel the car. I let everything go. I let go of the wheel, took my feet off the pedals and took a deep breath, thinking this is it. When the car eventually stopped and there was no damage, my adrenaline pumping, uh, I had to do it again, three times and not a single scratch on the car luck or fate i couldn't care once the adrenaline faded all my energy did and here i am thank you for that and then this uh this one is by a woman who calls herself herp derp and about her anxiety like jaws music is always playing but the shark never shows up Uh, about her anorexia i cry all day if the scale is above 115 and a snapshot from her life when i was eight years old my grandma told me i should give up crying for lent Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. good. (laughs) I'm here with Lauren Ashley Bishop. Um, not to be confused with the designer Laura Ashley. Uh-oh. I would love to be confused with the designer Laura Ashley. <laughs> I feel like uh, Laura Ashley has much more money than me. Uh, Shittier bedspreads, but more money. You have less flower prints per inch than she does. Very, that's the only thing I know about that's, her. That's her it, stuff too. is all flower prints, right? She's probably a lovely person. She, yeah. What if she's goth secretly and was just like, <laughs> flower prints are what sells, but uh, secretly I go to Guar concerts. <laughs> You know, Guar, nice pull. Thanks. Nice pull. I like to get Guar in an under five at every podcast. Are they Canadian Guar? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's, yeah. Anyway, uh, do they really belong to any country? Let's. They're they belong to the world. They do. They do. Let's talk about you. Um, oh. you you're how old? Oh, uh, people give me shit for asking. Yeah, that's women such how a weird. That's such a weird but question. I, but I feel like it's it's so important for other people to hear because this is so not an industry podcast this yeah. is so much more about oh i'm where so you're beyond i'm so beyond my age mattering in the industry anyway like i'm yeah. way too old for an age that you'd lie about you know what i mean like like if i was like 28 and i could lie about being 23 and that might make a difference but no one gives a fuck once you're 37 which is what i am you know there's no way you're 37 oh god bless you seriously yeah I, w- I would have absolutely thought that you were in your in your twenties. Oh, see, oh, so that would have been even worse. Go <laughs> ahead, cut your career. <laughs> uh, no. Um, 
Yeah, and, and and if I have offended guests by asking them or made them feel uncomfortable, uh, I apologize. But uh, I feel like it's important when we're talking about mental illness to kind of understand how like, how many years people have been dealing with this yeah. shit. Yeah, and, well, I, and how they feel about getting older and well, you know, I mean, all when that I talk stuff. about stuff that like, oh, this happened at college, like it didn't happen yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that right. happened 15 years ago. Yeah. You had so. one of those big, those bicycles with a gigantic front wheel. Oh, God, I sure did. <laughs> I uh, I sent telegrams. I've, <laughs> I have sat on a plane. We were just talking about this. I have sat on a plane where there was a smoking section. I do know that. Me too. Right? Isn't that crazy to think about that? It is. It was. It seems like another world. It, it does. It really was in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait till I get back home to choose from my three TV channels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dial my best friends with a rotary dial. Oh, I miss. I I was I was uh, walking. Uh, I guess where was I? Beverly Hills, I guess. And, like, but through one of the residential neighborhoods, and I heard a house phone, and I was like, oh, I never hear anybody I go, heard- mom, in so long. Like that's something uh, that like kids growing up now yeah. will never get. It's because, for you. Yeah, they won't get that at all. Which is what yeah. constant in my house, mom, phone. So let's talk about your your childhood where'd you grow up what was your childhood like um i grew up in little rock arkansas mm-hmm. and uh i think it's pronounced arkansas oh isn't it? what have i been doing the whole time um it's actually pronounced arkansas so <laughs> we're both wrong uh, if you're saying it right it's arkansas thank you very much um yeah i grew up in arkansas and i have one younger brother um he's a couple years younger than me and um Right now, I have, I mean, like, as of today, I have a phenomenal relationship with everybody in my family. Everybody, actually, my extended family. Like, my parents were really good about making sure that we went to both grandparents' house and know all of our cousins. You know, like, when I meet somebody now who's like, yeah, I got a cousin over there, I don't know, I'm like, that's so crazy to me. Because that's one thing they really did right was make sure that we knew our extended family and kept up with cousins. And so, like, and we do that now. Like, we're all still really close. Um, I don't think I know even a tenth of my cousins. Are you sure you're not from Arkansas? How many cousins do you have? You made it sound like a mess of them. Well, my dad's family had, he had five sisters, I think, and they were Catholic. So yeah. then they had, oh, Catholics. you know, Fair multiple, enough. multiple mm-hmm. kids, but they all stayed on the East Coast. My dad moved to Chicago. So the only ones we really knew were the ones from Pittsburgh that would, would come to, to visit. Wow. And yes, one was raised with us. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. We drove up to Cincinnati like once a year to go be with my dad's side of the family. We still do, actually. Like we still, even though my grandparents are dead now. Um, it's fun when you when there are relatives whose company you enjoy. Oh, it's nice. Everybody's kick ass. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, we're all very different, but mm-hmm. everybody's great. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, childhood was um, for the most part, like for the for the first part of it, like there was some as you call seminal moments um, that will be important for us to talk about like early, early on in childhood. But for the most part growing up uh, until I was like, I don't know, like 12, it was pretty much okay. Um, You know, we were middle class, you know, like some, some years my dad's a lawyer. And so some years like we really good year and we get to go to Disney world and, you know, other years, you know, we would eat plain noodles, you know, so it just all depended. My mom stayed home for a good part of my childhood. And then when we got into like, when I got into like junior high, she went back to work uh, as a guidance counselor. Um, But 
at the the second half of my childhood, there's a lot of chaos. Um, my grandmother was really abusive, and which which my mother's mother. Okay. My dad's parents, but were saints, just saints. Like, and and then he married my mom, which was a, a family full of just fucked upness. Like my grandfather was fine, but he would just let my grandmother run the show, and she was uh, she drank. And was a mean drunk. Like she would chase around uh, my mom, uh, chase her around the house with a loaded gun, like shit, like that. Like beat the shit out of her. And so my mom sounds I, to me like she enjoyed a good time. I mean, it's that's just Thanksgiving. Hello. Um, but then there were also times where she was like a wonderful mother to her and a wonderful grandmother to us. Um, so there was a lot of inconsistency in her. It's so scary. It's so hard for kids. It's so hard. It's hard for adults, too. It's, yeah. It's like, oh, well, When you what don't know when the other shoe is going to drop. Yeah. And so my mom was really traumatized. And I think still to this day, I, I think that she has PTSD and I know she has codependency and all those and that stuff that's just never been processed. Um, but so she started to drink um, when I was... Well, I mean, I think that she had probably started to drink before that. But my dad and her, just real opposite. I mean, they got married when they were like 20 because of the Vietnam War. They were going to, my dad wanted to get married. So he didn't, I think. So he wouldn't be drafted. Yeah, exactly. And then the war ended. And so he wanted out of it, I think. And my grandmother was like, no fucking way. I bought invitations already. You guys are getting married. So that's how my parents got together. Why? So they did not get along? They were not compatible? No, no, no. I mean, they waited like eight years to have kids. You know what I mean? So they, you know, they just didn't know each other. So they weren't forced to stick it out. They weren't forced. I don't know that my, I mean, nobody, nobody put them in a vice and said, you've got to do this. But my grandmother was, uh... A crazy loon, you know, like there was her way, and then there was, you know, death. So you were going to do what she did, what she said. And it terrified my mom, you know, to not get it done. So I think my dad was like, yeah, okay, fine, fine, fuck it, we'll just do this. And um, so yeah, so they spent eight years together, you know, and they traveled and, and I think they had a, a pleasant time. Um, Are I, they still together? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. When They've did- been divorced for, oh my God. 20 years now? Almost. Okay. Yeah. No, how, no, no. So how old were you when they got divorced? Uh, I was a freshman in college okay. when they got divorced. Okay. Yeah. Didn't, um, mean, didn't mean to fast forward, but... Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're not together at all. Okay. Um, but they get along. But they get along. Thank God for us. It's really nice. So, um, so yeah. So they had us uh, when my mom had me when she was 28. But she... When I was in junior high is when it kind of all started to fall apart um, is that when she started drinking? Yeah. That's when she started drinking really heavily, and that's when I noticed it. Um, would she drink during the day? Well, like, I would come home at night. Like, I remember the first time I noticed it. It was in eighth grade, and I think it was because it was, this is just maybe when I started drinking that I started noticing. And I was like, oh. So my friend Amber and I came home one night after, you know, hanging out or whatever, and my mom was up. It was like midnight or something, and she was just acting goofy as shit. And um, we were like, what's going on? And she was like, I've just had a lot of Kool-Aid with a lot of sugar. And it was that. And I was like, oh, that's not true. Like, you're drinking. Like, I see. So, like, immediately I was like, oh, that's something to lie about. That's something to um, do uh, in private and to be ashamed of. 
And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like this. So it just kind of started. But you didn't say anything to her. You just thought those thoughts. Well, we were just like, you're crazy. Oh, like okay. we were like, Amber's like, I think your mom's drunk. And I was like, yeah, I think she is too. But like, whatever. She wasn't even uh, t- uh, able to talk to us about it. You know what I mean? She's yeah. in there. Ah, there she goes. So that started um, many years of um, a really codependent relationship between my mom and I. Because for a long time, that kept happening and my dad didn't believe me. Like things had eroded between my father and her so um, so quickly that he just went to work and he just didn't come home. But you know, it happens a lot because he grew up in this perfect household, you know, with Ozzy and Harriet, never seen anybody with any issue to drink over. Like he just didn't comprehend it and still to this day has a hard time understanding it, honestly. Um, and so... Um, and he just didn't want to deal with it. So he just, he was like, I think you're lying to me. And I was like, no, I, it's a thing. Like, it's not good, you know, like, and it, it eventually evolved into like, she would accidentally erase my papers or we would drive around and she would drive around drunk and I'd be terrified. And then the seat of, on the floor of the car, like begging her to stop, you know, shit like that. There was one night when she ended up, oh God, this was the worst. I, um, she called me all the way upstairs and I was like, so I went all the way upstairs from my room, all the way upstairs, went to her desk where she was paying bills. And she was like, I need the remote. She's watching the TV, which is like right in front of her. And the remote is literally right behind her. And I was like, you know what? You're acting like Dee Dee. It's her and mother. That's her mother. And that is the angriest I've ever seen my mom get. Like, you talk about, like, a trigger to end all triggers. Like, she screamed at me and was like, I'm going to fucking kill you and, like, chased me all the way down. That's the a good st- way to prove she's not like her mother. I know, right? I was like, look at you, just doing all sorts of proof here. Um, yeah, just ink it. <laughs> so I locked myself in my room and like barricaded myself up against the door and she's like banging and trying to get in. But then she realizes like, oh shit, you know? And so she's, now she's bawling and pleading with me and you know, and it just went on like that until my dad came home and then nobody ever talked about it. And even still to this day, she's like, I barely remember it. You know, she's horrified because we have the best relationship now. Did she quit drinking? Mm-hmm. She quit drinking eventually um, in high school. It got to the point where I finally convinced my dad that it was happening because I would come home and there I would be, be what, what was that, mom? The oven door closed. She, nothing, nothing. Oh, is that where she hit the booze? I mean, that's fucking vodka in the oven. What do you do? That's flammable. <laughs> like, what the hell? So, you know, eventually, like, I don't know how he, we ended up, I ended up proving it to him, but um, we were going to family therapy and our therapist was like, well, this is my mom's therapist. And she was like, well, see what's happened here is there's a family dynamic, like a triangle. And she's like, you know, the parents are usually the ones on top and it's flipped. And you've become the parent in this household and you have been for years and you've been taking care of your mom and protecting your brother and you were 12. And so I grew up really fast, you know, like, and that's about where I stopped being a kid was then. And my dad was like, eh, it's bullshit. But we had a really 
close relationship that was not okay. And I don't mean in that way. I just mean like, yeah, like he would confide things in me that, you know, a parent should, they should, adults should handle that shit themselves. For example? Um, you know, we would sit down and like make a plan and he would be like, well, what do you think we should do about this? You know, which I got homework, you know what I mean? It's like I got huge projects and stuff and I didn't want to think about like where to put my mother away and, um, you know, or like stuff like that. And, and so, but he would like talk about like, like, well, you know, we, I don't know, just things that like romantically that I shouldn't have known. You know what I mean? Like things I just shouldn't have been. You know what that's to. called? What? Mm-mm. That's called emotional incest. Don't care for it. <laughs> Don't like it. I don't either. Put I didn't those, like it. I don't like those words. I didn't either. I don't care for and it. I felt like it was overly dramatic when somebody, you know. I saw you dialing those words up over there, and I was like, Mm-mm, "Stop it!" It's, it's it's an icky name for an icky thing. Yeah, it's an icky thing. Well, you know, I mean, the way she put it uh, was not so icky. Um, you know, the way our therapist put it was just like, "Yeah, you became a parent too early," and. All, I had a lot of decisions that were up to me that shouldn't have been. And I was just privy to a lot of information. And um, the so she we finally did an intervention for her. And she was like, okay. And I think she just knew. I think she, and she was ready. She was tired. She was tired. Um, and then. It's so tiring being an untreated alcoholic. It is one of the. Exhausting. It's, but you don't know any better. You don't know anything else. You, you just, need help. Yeah, it's the only thing that numbs your pain is and you drinking and you don't believe that you are helpable or worthy of help. And you can't do it by yourself. You cannot. Yeah. You cannot. But you have to have people there who, here's the thing, is that like, my dad really doesn't have the, uh, and I, I love, I really want to say this, like, I love both my parents and they have always done the best that they could and they have both been put in positions that were shitty so I just want to say it's that, a, and it sounds like that. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're coming from a place of, of love. Oh, completely, a hundred percent. But one thing that my dad did before um, I left for college, I think I I can't remember. This might have even been after the intervention, and then like nobody believed. I know I didn't. I was angry. I didn't believe that she was going to quit drinking. I still didn't believe it even after a year and now i feel horrible about that but because i you know that's super common i know yeah because i'm very your trust well aware has been, because your trust has been betrayed so many times yeah because the addict and the alcoholic really believes that they're going to change they're yeah. they're they're most addicts and alcoholics are very well-intentioned people mm-hmm. but the power of addiction uh warps reality yeah and what you feel oh. one minute suddenly is the opposite of what you feel the next minute and you're unable to have your actions follow your intentions and that's that's why we we need help yeah those of us that are that are addicts and alcoholics all but, of our realities were warped like it yeah. it took all of us for a ride yeah well a lot, a lot i of ripples Oh, it, it must have. Well, it, this was my this was my senior year of high school. I had gotten into um, Northwestern, mm-hmm. and I was smarty pants. Thank you. Uh, I don't think I would get in now. I would like to say that uh, it was hard to get in uh, when I was going to college back in the eighteen nineties. So. <laughs> With your big big front wheel bicycle, <laughs> my big front. I rode to, to go apply <laughs> to give him your application. I tipped my stovepipe. Say, hat. I've got an application for Northwestern. See. <laughs> I have filled out my application with my fountain pen. I bid you good day, sir. Here's an owl. Um, yeah, he. we were driving one day, and I must have already gotten in, 
And even I, I know how expensive it is now, but even back then it was like, I think like 30 grand a year. I just, I thank God for scholarships. One of the most expensive schools. It's ridiculous. Um, and I thank God for scholarships every day. But my father said, if, uh, uh, if you would stay home and not go to college and take care of your mother for me, I would pay you the cost of going to Northwestern. That is so fucked up on so many levels. I know. And he, but it was, he had the best intentions. Know. And, you know, he didn't know what to do. And I, I can see that now. There were years that was I was. Was this before your mom went into re- rehab? Was this after the invent- intervention? I think it was, I think, I don't know. I, it's hard to say. It I sounds th- like it would be before an intervention. But I don't think it was. That's so fucked up. Because he, they weren't divorced yet. And he, I think he knew, he already knew he was about to divorce her and that she would probably start drinking again. And so it was going to be me to take care of her because he never had. He never had. He didn't know how. Like, he literally didn't know how. Didn't know, never encountered anything like that. And I had always be the, been the one to take care of her. So I think he was like, it was worth it to him. He knew he was going to have to leave. How could he not see, though, how because- d- damaging to your life that would be? To, to, to I, set you back in terms of your achievements because your I would dreams. never have let anybody see what that stuff did to me like I was and and I continue to work on being codependent now you know but I was very codependent which also means like um, I will never let you know how I feel because everything is always fine and I will always that's my survival you know mechanism is I will always adapt you know, to whatever life throws at me. That's how I, that's how you survive in situations mm-hmm. like that. So I didn't even like freak out when he said it. I was just like, I'll think about it. Even though I know like this is my chance. What do you, what do you remember feeling in your body when he said that? You know, I have, uh, and this is, uh, this will bring us to the seminal moment in my childhood. Uh, at that time, I had such a disconnect with my body that I would go through things and not know that it was connected to a feel I didn't. You were numb. Very. Yeah. Like I went through, um, we went through this whole process where I was so sick all the time. Like during this time, like they tested every allergy test and they were like, well, she's kind of allergic to milk and chocolate. I guess that's probably what it is. But I couldn't, like it was horrible, especially for a kid. And it happened again as an adult and, um, you know, for during my adult trauma and I went to go see a GI doctor and I mean, we ran every test because still as an adult, I was pretty disconnected from my body. Not until I did all this trauma work recently have I kind of come into my own. But I mean, they did like colonoscopies, endoscopies, they're doing blood tests. They were in every in the hole I had trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I was like jogging and I mean I know it's common for people to like this is great if you're thinking about dating me here here's your out uh you'll be disgusted by this um I've done it by the way and I know I know what you're, know what you're gonna say but go I, of ahead course I know it. and I've heard you talk about it but I mean it was happening all the time and I was like Making visits to people's front lawns. Are you? I was like, I was like jogging with somebody who was romantically interested in me, and I was had to pretend like 
I was about to puke and I was like, I'm going to, it's daylight. I'm going to have to shit on someone's front lawn. And I kept jogging. We kept jogging. He's like, are you okay? I'm like sweating. It's like, no. That's the worst. The pre-shit sweat. And, I, and is- I'm like, I'm like dreaming. I'm like having this weird, crazy fantasy that like we're going to jog by an apartment that's going to be like, like it's an open house, which is like, get the fuck out. Like, Come sample our toilets. Exactly. So I finally was like, I'm going to die. And I went up to this, uh, I saw these, uh, I just went up to these bushes. Like, I was like, just keep, go that way. I don't want you to see me puke. I'm too girly, which is like hilarious because I'm such a tomboy. And uh, right then, these two workers went up to the door and this guy, the manager comes out and I stuck out my distended belly. And I was like, I'm so sorry, but I am pregnant. It do you? And he was like, oh, well, we're showing this apartment. Would you like to use my bathroom? And I was like, I would love to. I guarantee you they never fucking rented that apartment. Like, I guarantee you. You gave it a good beating. Oh, that poor thing. But I was like, I can't believe that that was just like everything I fantasized just happened to come true. And I was just like, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm going to be nice to everybody now. Did you affect a Southern accent? or? Is oh, you- yeah. I don't know. For sure. Yeah. Anytime I need something, I want something, or I'm being... What's, what's that about? Just um, trying to make yourself more vulnerable? And- absolutely. Do you manifest it there right now? It's just a... I used to have a southern accent, probably not that bad, but like you just it's a default. It's a yeah. default when you're like want to want somebody to know that you're very kind and polite and yeah. innocent. I get, you know, g- g- having talked to you cuz we we met for coffee and we mm-hmm. talked for about an hour or so and I I get the feeling that there are so many masks that you feel mm-hmm. that you have to wear, especially like the humor and doing the doing the accents and yep. stuff like that. And I know we all yeah. use humor to oh you no know, try to lighten things, but it feels like it's almost like compulsive with you, like mm-hmm. you're uh, like you're afraid of silence or somebody feeling. Um, sorry for you or or, oh, or yeah. empathy or yeah uh, god forbid pity i know oh, nobody likes to feel pity, i won't accept that but no way it's i, I guess it's like Here's, are you terrified at the thought of being vulnerable and- yeah for certain and i'm working on it um here's something that like even gr- growing up i would be and still to this day i'm like i said i'm able to adapt to like whatever needs to happen who do me- I need to be to survive this situation? Yeah, very and, much and so. And look good. Yeah, exactly. And 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 leave this conversation unscathed or if I, you know, you I leave it, you think something positive about me. Mm-hmm. Um I had one kid called unfortunately now his name is a I mean his name's always been Chris Brown, but I'm like, "Oof, tough name to have now." Um but I remember specifically one day on the bus uh, it must have been. It was. I think it must have been in high school or something. But he like you know, call, kids just call each other out on shit. Like they just no filter. And he was like, "You're like you're like whoever people." I mean, he like nailed it. He was like, "Whoever people you you like hang out with every single group. Why don't you pick one?" And I was like, "Cause I don't want to pick one. I want everybody to like me," which seemed completely rational to me. He was like, yeah, but like you kind of act punk when you hang out with the punks and the skaterboarders. And then you also hang out with the smart kids and then you talk about smart stuff. And I was like, but why can't I be all those people? Why can't I be everything to everybody? Why can't I be everything to everybody? How's that going to backfire on me? How could that that possibly go wrong? Wait, and so even now I'm like, 
have I been podcasting wrong? Am I a terrible right, person? Right now? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. No, not at all. Because you're like, I can see all your masks. No, I wear them. I, yeah. I remember thinking to myself in fifth grade, like I would study the way uh, like more popular kids walked. Yeah. And I would be like, I need to walk like that. And it wasn't it's, being, it, it's not about being popular. It's like, I was never popular and that would cause way too much attention. If I was popular. Yeah, for me, it was about not not sticking out and being weird yeah. or different. Yeah. Like, let me just, let me be able to, like, morph and 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 travel between groups unscathed, you know, where, um, where I'm not, we, I'm not, uh, I'm not an outcast anywhere. And I don't have to defend anything because I'm not sure who I am. Don't ask me that question. Don't, I like whatever you like. You know, if you want to ask me what I like, and that has been, I mean, God, even in like treatment, like they do this like resource project where they're like, why don't you make a collage and it's all the things you like. And I sit there with a thousand magazines. I was like, I don't fucking know what I like. <laughs> like, I like dogs. You know, my, my opinion is a lot of that people who've experienced emotional incest, uh, and maybe I'm just projecting my own stuff. You never but, do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would just numb out yeah. i would just mm -hmm. go to a place in my head i would either go into fantasy or i would pretend what was happening wasn't happening and so i would just shut down and i think we share that and that mm -hmm. we don't know what we like we don't know we're, we're so used to just finding a way to check out yeah so that we don't have to go oh my god my parent is telling me gross details about their fucking marriage yeah well, here's the um, seminal moment, uh, which, by the way, I'm such a perv. Every time you say it on this podcast, you I'm, think of semen, I, I do, and I'm sorry. I just wanted no, to acknowledge right. that. I think of it sometimes when I say it, but I'm like, whatever. I, it's no, it's not. It's just I was like, good. It's just it's not me then. Okay, yeah. good. I was going to call them jizzy moments, but I thought seminals, seminal sounds classier. Grow. I yeah. feel like you can grow into jizzy, jizzy hands. Um, so. When I was either three or four, um, something happened that affected and has continued to affect me. And now it's it's one of the things that my adult traumas has triggered. And I was like, oh, that did happen. And the more work that I've done, I'm like, oh, my God, that was super important. And I didn't it. Nobody acknowledged it. They acknowledged it some, but nobody knew to acknowledge it enough. So when I was either three or four, um, I started getting recurring UTIs. Um, always, always a bad, bad. I mean, that is as big of a red flag yeah. as there could be. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You know, we, uh, my brother's a doctor. Fucking half my family's doctors. Sorry, I'm going to try not to swear so much. Um, you and, know, but I, I don't care. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay. It's a more of a personal thing. Okay. I gotta dial that down. All right. I never fucking can, though. Mm -hmm. um, and I've talked to my brother about it, and he was like, you know, he's a pediatrician, pediatric oncologist, real asshole. Just, just a oh real God, jerk. Oh, my God, I can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine what, what, a, what a bad day at their office is like. I've talked to him sometimes, and it's really tough. There That's, needs to be more psychiatric care for those guys. Yeah. Or psychological. Um, 
And he was like, you know, if they're new, you know, you had new parents, it can happen if they're wiping wrong or something. Oh, that's true. I never thought about yeah. that. Yeah. I like how I just cast aspersions that, oh, yeah, that child's being raped. Well, anybody that has a uterine infection, uh, it's, is- a, I mean, but that is a big red flag for that. And that's part of the confusion. Um, Our urinary tract, not mm-hmm. uterine. Yeah. So. So I started having them so often that they thought my mom um, brought me to a hospital um, because they thought it might be some, I don't know what it is. That experience was so traumatizing that it has stayed with me to this day, even though I was three or four, like they, and one of my counselors has said, you know, back then, yeah, this is this is where age is important. Uh, back then, uh, they didn't know how trauma affected kids and how deeply it wounded them if it wasn't taken care of in the correct way, if it wasn't dealt with psychologically um, with delicate hands. And I remember it so distinctly like I was floating above myself, um, which I now understand is like... Yeah, that's a feeling you leave in that you mean a neighborhood you can't hang in. Yep, exactly. Like that was the first time I completely disassociated. And um but there I was like just completely naked and they put me on a silver it it was like a silver tray and on my back and then they had two male doctors in there who were basically just coaching me to pee, which I knew I wasn't supposed to do and they wouldn't let my mom in and my mom said she just heard like an hour of screaming, just screaming. That, that, that makes me so angry that they, <sighs> you know, and it's like, well, we, what we know now about trauma and what we know now about, you know, the psychology of children and what they understand and what they don't understand and how they process things. Yeah, that's shitty. I don't know what they knew back then. I, I know that they were trying to do, this is me like being like, it's all right, everybody. Um, they were doing maybe they were just doing the best that they could with the information that they had you know like hey a three-year-old's yeah. never gonna remember this yeah she's young enough and kids yell about getting shots and stuff like that of course. So I, you know and yeah they're so focused on the body i yeah. think and and forgetting that there's a soul i think in there they to, have to a I, lot yeah i would imagine know? like cops if you st- stopped every day to think about the soul inside the, some person that's oh, God, breaking you'd be crushed. along you'd be crushed you'd be crushed but, but it really, um, that really traumatized me a lot. Um, and so now, and I remember that so distinctly. And they ended up blowing up one of those rubber glove hands and drawing a face on it. So not having any idea, like nobody really thought about it. My mom put it up, or my dad, I don't know. One of my parents put it up next to like my favorite doll. And so I just had to sit and look at it in my room. Reminding you of the Reminding trauma. me of the trauma. And so that doll became part of a recurring nightmare that I had. And I would have panic attacks. Like every day, I would, there was a, there's a recurring dream that I have with that doll in it. Um, and I sometimes have it as an adult. Not so much anymore because I have other dreams that have replaced it. Yay. But um, I would remember, I could tell when I was going into it. Like when I was trying to fall asleep and I would scream my way out of it sometimes and sometimes i couldn't and that's a really young time to and so now we like we know for certain that that event was traumatizing was there anything else that caused the uti there's literally no way to know 
I have to operate from, you know, like with my therapist, when we've worked on it, I have to operate um, under the the thought process of it doesn't matter. Yep. It just doesn't matter because I know something like if that's what if that's all it was. Great. If there was more than that, tack it on because I know what that did to me. You don't need to wait for an answer there to start processing the pain and maybe uh, a memory as you start to process the pain. And especially if part of the processing the pain is um, uh, refraining from any addictions that you have. A lot of times that really allows uh, trauma and stuff to to surface. Yes. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. I had a similar. I'm not going to go into detail about it because I've done it before on the podcast, but. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I had a similar medical experience mm. that was horrifying that, you know, oh, I, where I was naked. Talk. I yes. think so. And I was like, yes, yes, medical trauma. Like, yes, felt myself leave my body. Mm-hmm. And my mom was there and didn't do anything. Yeah. Didn't say anything. And see, and my mom would have done something. Yeah. But as a three, well, you don't know that. You don't know. All you know is that you've been handed off to these men who are groping your naked body you know, and like I've in art therapy, I've painted it and I can't see their faces. You know what I mean? Like I can't see their faces. They're just too. But in so growing up in adolescence, like as a child, you're really resilient. Like your brain is um, it's amazing. Like how your brain can take trauma and be like, I'm going to compartmentalize this, albeit incorrectly. Because um, you got to you. Our ancestors had work on the farm to be yeah. done. No sitting around. Yeah, uh, they couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't sit around and watch Bravo and feel sorry for themselves. Yeah. No, um, which is too bad because it's pretty great. Um, but there were two moments in my adolescence where that memory got triggered, where I had no you you have no capacity for understanding. Like no one ever mentioned PTSD. I don't even think back then that they knew anybody, but war veterans got it and and then and then you when the you get triggered you just think i'm weird or i'm weak or in pile that add that to the pile i mean these two events were so they were crushing one was um how old was i i don't remember maybe i was in like eighth grade or something but you know that's definitely when it was i was in eighth grade and my parents had left they were we were all at the lake and they were with another couple and the other couple had three boys that were older and um they left my brother and i with these three boys to babysit us you know while they went out to dinner three boys perfectly nice i'm sure um but they like they left and they started playing cards or whatever and you know they're just being stupid dumb boys but they turn around and they're like, uh, like I remember this very distinctly. They're like, you want to play? I was like, what are you guys playing? They're like, poker. You want to play strip poker? And they just looked at me and they thought it was hilarious. And I, like, I didn't know what, I had no understanding of what was happening to my body. But I knew that I'd been violated in some way. But it's it's that where... By them saying that or that something happened after that? No, no, no. Nothing happened. That's all that happened. But in my body, I felt it It reminded me of that sensation. And when you get triggered, when you have PTSD and you get triggered, sometimes you have like the somatic reaction, the physical feeling of what it felt like. But I had no understanding of like how to verbalize what had happened. And I tried to tell people And I just didn't know, like, I knew that I felt horrible and horrified, but it didn't equate 
with mm-hmm. like what happened and so i was confused and i thought i was wrong and um and why, so why would you think you were wrong just for feeling so intensely about somebody just making a quote unquote joke yeah yeah and i didn't because the horror that you feel is like you're back in that moment yeah and it is so alarming it came out of nowhere and you're like what is wrong with me what did your what did your can you describe what your body felt in that in that moment uh I, well i think it felt like a it's hard to say, you know, because I checked out. Yeah. Like, I just checked out. Um, but I know it arrests. It arrests and it becomes completely, like, heavy and overwhelmed. And then, you know, and then I have, I don't even have any memory of what happened after that. Like, I have a very clear memory of where everyone was in the room when he said that. And then, poof. And when I tried to talk to people about it, they were like, so did the boys... You know, you right. can be honest. Did they molest you? Did they rape you? And I was like, no. It's a trigger. Yeah. And, but you've not, what, what kid has ever heard the word trigger? Yeah. What kid has ever heard? I didn't even know what I was upset about. And it happened one more time in high school where, um, oh, this poor girl. I hope that she hears this one day. Um, we were in high school. It was like our scene right before my senior year, I guess. And my friend Jim was having a party and he had a hot tub, you know, his dad or was ever was out of town and, and everybody's drinking, you know, we were party kids and, and there I walk out and, you know, I've had a couple beers or whatever. And there's this girl who is a sophomore and she was naked in the hot tub with a bunch of guys. It fucking sent me. And immediately I was so angry, irrationally angry at her. I don't get angry at people. Like I don't like conflict. I don't like anger. So it was shocking to me. I was like, where is this coming from in my body? But I didn't even have time to think about where or what it was. I was just fucking mad. And I was just like, you fucking whore. Like, you just... So not my personality. Like, I don't say those things to anybody. It was shot. So later on, I was like, I don't know why. And it didn't stop for like a year. Like, I would see her in the hallways and she would like walk away from me. I'm mortified. I've never had that behavior since. Never had it before. And... I came back in, after college and saw her at some bonfire party and her friends were like, she's leaving. And I was like, no, 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 please tell her to come here. Cause I'd had time away, you know, from everything or whatever. And I wasn't so, and I was just like, it was not your fault. I am so sorry. I was just like, if there's ever anything I can do, I'm so sorry. And that was me. And I don't, I still don't understand it, but like, it was not your fault. And she, she's poor girl. You know, what did, how did she react? I, I think she was just like, thank you so much. I was so scared. Like, why were you mad at me? And I was like, I don't know, but it was my fault. And I'm so happy I was able to like, good for you. See her. Oh, yeah. God. I, because it was so not me. Like, anybody who knows me would be like, you did what? <laughs> like, like you who hugs every dog they see. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, it was so uncharacteristic. And mm. I was, I was just mortified. So, um, so that has that has carried over, but that got buried, and I kind of compare. I don't know. It's it's very difficult to talk about PTSD because it's hard to explain to people <laughs> yeah. um, what exactly is it is that happens. But the way that I kind of explain what happened to me is that like, it is uh, to compare it to like a teacup. So it's like okay, like like your kid, like somebody's making a new teacup, and like it gets chinked. You know what I mean? It gets a, a chink in it and it's like, oh, okay, well, it's pretty brand new. So now you just have some character. It's a little crack, but you'll be like, it's okay. Now you just have some character. So I had some character growing up. 
you know, I had some character where I wasn't always comfortable. I've never comfortable with my body. And if I was having sex with somebody, I was playing a role. I'm like, oh, this is what they do on TV. This is how girls kiss on TV. This is this. I never had any really personal connection because I was way too afraid of my own sexuality, of my own body um, for a long, long time. And then when I went through... Uh, was there more to the teacup thing? Or yeah. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then I went through, when I went through trauma as an adult, I got really, really, really hit hard again. And it was like, okay, okay, like we got to really do some repair work because this teacup is fucked now. And then right when I thought I had like gotten it, like duct taped it and super glued it enough to where it was like shitty, but whatever, then I had another trauma and it just shattered it just shattered it and it shattered my brain it shattered my life and it was like you have had too much you have to start over now like you have to completely start over there's no repairing this like in what way did you tell yourself you had to start over i i mean this is not something that i realized until i'd gone through a lot of therapy um i didn't tell myself i had to start over my brain just started over. I see. Um, in, in what way? Well, the, when I went through trauma as an adult, um, that is when uh, my brain started disassociating with amnesia. And it was terrifying. Um, it, it just couldn't take it anymore. Like it just, there were enough. Amnesia in the present moment, not amnesia about mm -hmm. the past before the trauma. Correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or both. Uh, yeah, no, in the present moment, I think I'm answering that correctly. Um, oh. I reserve the right to come back and <laughs> say that I was confused. Um, yeah, I had a really abusive relationship right, right when I came to L.A. Um, Is this the adult trauma mm -hmm. that you're talking yeah. about? Okay. I had a really abusive relationship um, that lasted a while. Um, it was various kinds of abuse. And once I was finally able to get out of that, um, I was stalked for a good while, um, even through a restraining order. And once that finally settled down, and I, like, this is, a huh, after, like, three years, I guess, maybe, I was, like, finally, like, okay, I'm putting my life back together. I have, like, PTSD symptoms, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not disassociating. I'm just, uh, then my neighbor sexually assaulted me, and my brain was like, that's it. We're done. And it just started checking out on a regular basis. God, I'm so sorry that you've had to experience all of those things. That is such a... Well, thank you. That is such a plate load. <laughs> that is such a plate load. I mean... I mean, it, you, you have know, endured so much. It's where I'm... I'm it, it's, I guess it was supposed to happen because... And I know this sounds super cliche and so fuck off if you're listening and you're like, that's cliche, but I'm so happy with where I'm at right now that I'm like okay that's what i had to go through. and so that's kind of what i when i talk about the teacup analogy like that's kind of what i mean like i was i had a lot of cracks in there but i was okay and now i'm just clean slate i have like it actually i was i've been told not to name my first book thanks for raping me although i really would like to <laughs> i was like can i at least name it a chapter um, but uh, I, before you go further yeah expand on what it it is that you're grateful for here's what i'm grateful for and i completely agree with you mm -hmm. i just said the same thing yesterday that i oh, really yes um yeah. i was 
speaking to a group of people who were struggling and uh and basically oh, good. said you got more speaking engagements that was your yeah. thing i just listened about and and i said you know i'm i'm i wouldn't change anything that happened to me um i certainly don't want to experience them again but yeah. i wouldn't Mm-mm. feel empathy the way i feel it i wouldn't be able to connect to people as deeply as i do Empathy's i wouldn't be able to- a big deal like i have there's nobody that I can't, and sometimes it's, you know, to a fault, but I mean, I've sat down with some people that have done some terrible shit and I'm like, I can see even people who've hurt me. That's how I've been able to forgive them is, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, people say that, but the, the emotional and mental clarity that I have right now, like sitting here is unpar- it's you, I can't compare it to anything else in my entire life like I could have like idled along you mm-hmm. know and kept doing this and kept making these decisions or whatever but as I said here as I sit here right now like I have the best relationship with my family I could possibly have and it wasn't until because I kept them out of this the the adult trauma like I kept them out of it they for a couple of they years didn't know what happened for two years I didn't let anybody know my aunt was kind of like my surrogate mother for a while because my mother and I just weren't close like we I always say like I feel like I met her even in though she was sober when this happened uh yeah and that's had what she I mean gotten, had she gotten any help for her drinking yeah um, oh yeah 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 for okay. sure and she'd been clean for a while but it just we never had that relationship and then I was in college mm. so my aunt lived her sister um lived right outside where I went to college. So we, and we are still very close. But when I needed something, if I needed to ask a question, I would call her, you know, and my mom got it, you know. And so my mom was building building herself back up, you know, and figuring out who she was. because She'd never been alone. She'd never, she married my dad when she was 20, you know, and then all of a sudden here she is. I mean, she just gave up in the divorce too, you know. And then my dad married a crazy person and that's an entirely different podcast, um, that would be a whole another hour, but you know, and so, but my mom and I just really like, didn't have a chance, like see her at Christmas and stuff. And I, you know, we got along, we got to the point where it was okay, but this was the first time that she was able to, and both my parents were able to come back and have another shot at being parents for me. And that was such a gift. And now we have, like, the right relationship and we love each other like crazy, you know, but they've been able to take care of me like I always wanted. There you go. (laughs) There's the mask off. Are you fucking happy? (laughs) I am. I know. I live for for those moments. Yeah. But, like, I I might never have gotten that. I might never, like, my mom has flown out to L.A., several times to be with me because I was like, I literally, when you uh, are disassociating, it is so terrifying. And I was like, I need to come home. I don't feel safe. I can't take care of myself and I can't get on a plane. And she has flown out on a Thursday morning and flown out back out with me on a Thursday night. Like, and it's so it's her chance to redo everything too. And it's all happened like really beautifully you know, and I wouldn't want to go through this ever again. But if there's anybody that understood what I was going through, it was her, you know, and I was able to call her and she's like, I know, you know, and I was able to say like, 
and you know what? Like, you have this too, and you haven't dealt with it, and you're codependent. You have no opinions. Like, I wrote a huge open letter to her a couple years ago. I got so mad at her. So we were um, talking about politics or something, and she was just like, you know, whatever. And I was like, how can you have raised such an asshole opinion daughter? You know? Like, it's just, I did it in defiance of her. But um, I'm like, I, I want you to have your own opinions. I want that for you. And I, so I just wrote her this big O. She was mortified because it was so public, but it got her to go, you're right. I am dealing with trauma. You know, all of this has made her look at some of that stuff. And she's like, I'm too old to, you know, do all the stuff that you did, like the intense treatment and stuff. But, you know. Which she, I disagree with, but. Yeah. I do too. I yeah, was like. It's never too old. I know people in their 70s that come in and, and oh, get yeah. sober and yeah. turn their lives around. And even if they're the financial part of their lives don't necessarily turn around the way they relate to people completely turns around and they're able to appreciate what they yeah what they do have talk about if you if you can remember the the moment or moments when you began to feel like your parents were parenting you and what did it feel what were your thoughts and what did you feel i'm a big I always want to know what people are feeling in their body. Yeah. Because for the longest, for 40 years of my life, I was numb. And I, I know there are so many people out there that are disconnected from their body. And I want them to... Um, Here, let me let me talk about this then. Uh, not to, not to, not to uh, brush off that question, but let me talk about breath work. Because that is how I came to feel my body again. Breathwork, that's the uh, influential German uh, <laughs> band that synthesized even... a lot of sounds. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's craft work. <laughs> that's craft work. I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> oh, they were great. Um, when I went to, um, I was like, treatment, and then I was like, uh, the last treatment. Um, when I was in treatment the last time, um, I went to a place that specifies in trauma. Like it is, we call it sad camp. <laughs> we <laughs> call it fantastic. Yeah, because everybody there is dealing with trauma. Uh -huh. um, and it is basically like going to college for yourself. And it is the best thing I've ever done for myself. Um, but one of the, one of the ways um, that they, one of the therapies that they use, um, it's called somatics. And so it's all within the body. And they're, um, you know, the, the philosophy is philosophy. I don't think that's the right word. Um, but it's theorized that all trauma is trapped within the body and your mind can forget, like your mind can, uh, you know, compartmentalize it and fracture it and compartmentalize it in incorrectly, but your body doesn't forget. I, I completely believe that. It is so true. And, but you know, going into this, I'm like, it's hard because I'm I'm still my father's daughter where I'm like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a lot of horse shit. And um, a lot of this therapy is like cognitively, I get what you're all saying, but I can't go there. Like, I can't make myself go there. But cognitively, I know, you know, I get it. But that sounds like it's a disconnect between it, the, the mind and the body and the spirit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, the spirit. It's a hard one for me. Um 
But it just sounded like horseshit, to be perfectly frank. It sounded like a lot of frou-frou, like, are you going to, like, do an Indian dance over my head? Like, what are we going to get some crystals out? Like, it just sounded like crap. Can we cup the buttocks of Mother Earth? (laughs) We could do cupping on Earth. God, cupping. Uh, Not to insult people who like to cup. Um please don't hate me please like me you hear it i just like to call myself oh, out I on it when it. i do I it i do it yeah I, i'm like you know those radar installations they have looking for incoming planes i'm that for i'm that for criticism from listeners oh god oh i left myself open my flank is open my flank is open i'll do it in the out listen i'll do it in the car when no one's there i'll turn the radio station and be like if it's a song that's really popular that i don't like i'm like just not in the mood right now like no one's even listening lauren no one cares no one would even care, but that's how much I care. Um, so anyway, so they there are different somatic therapies that they use in in uh, in this place, and the one that my therapist chose for me was called breathwork. It sounds like nothing when I'm going to describe it to you. What you do is there's a trained, a, a licensed therapist that is with you, and you lay on the floor. Um, you can have a blanket. You cannot have a blanket. It's whatever's comfortable with you. And there's it's it's a guided breathing session. And in the beginning, there is like a a way that you get into it, kind of like a pattern of breathing. It's short and it's fast and it's hard. And and then you get into this very slow rhythmic breathing. It's in your nose and out of your mouth. And it takes a while. Like and you're I'm doing it for like I mean, I feel like you can do it for like 20 minutes sometimes. And you're like trying to focus like you're it's a meditation almost but you're trying to focus on the breath and let everything else sift out you know when you meditate you've got to let all that other stuff sift out and your brain wanders and you bring it back exactly your brain wanders and you bring bring it back back to the and you bring it back to the breath Mm -hmm. something happens right at like the 20 minute mark that is so earth shattering that it is hard to describe. It is a sensation in your body. You st- I started to um, your br- when you when you're in trauma, your breath moves um, from I think I'm going to say this correctly um, from the belly up into the chest. Right, you become you have short breaths um, when you're panicked, um, and so what you're doing is you're taking it back to that origin state. And you're really getting into your physical cells because the body remembers trauma that the mind doesn't. And it gives access, kind of breathing gives access to it. And you, it's like, it's like your body, it's like the door f- starts to flutter open. And it gets kind of like that. And you're like, what the fuck is happening to me? You know, and you start almost kind of like, <sighs> and it's just, and she's guiding you the whole time. What's, you know, she, what's she doing or saying? She's talking and she's, you know, she's very... Um, she's talking on the phone to somebody else. She's right? on her cell phone. She's got a great plan. Um, she's sending pictures of you under the blanket usually. Uh, <laughs> Look at this fucking asshole. She thinks I'm doing something for her. Um, she's got a whole Pinterest board full of <laughs> dumb fucks willing to give over their money. No. Um, I started to sob and I mean like I had no idea where it was coming from and 
then the sobbing, all of a sudden, it takes over, it took over my whole body, and I was scream crying. And I scream cried for 40 minutes. And, she, you know, and it's. Did getting, she hug you or anything? Yeah. She, there's, I mean, there's not like a, she doesn't like get on, like bear hug you. Right. Like she's got her arms, and there's, there's, um, it's, it's almost like Reiki in the sense that, and, and I don't mean like it's not Reiki, but it's in the sense of how she touches you, mm-hmm. of like, holding your shoulders so that you know or like holding she's your head she's making you aware that she's there and she's, she's supporting exactly, you exactly she's supporting are your eyes closed or, closed or open closed yeah. yeah they're big yeah and you're supposed to have them closed yeah they're okay. closed and um and is she wearing a halloween mask she's wearing an astronaut uh suit in case you puke uh so you know it doesn't get all over her um and i go to a real all uh, all of a sudden sober I completely disassociate and I am a very, very young person and it is fucking trippy. It is so weird that some that something that you can access that. I was blown away. Um, but I wasn't blown away until much later because I was not somebody who was capable of being blown away right then. Like I was very much like cry like I would talk to her like a but I was mostly scream just scream crying and she's just you know letting me get that out and I had a one of my friends I didn't even know was in the next room like doing like some sort of like therapeutic massage and he's he was like we heard you he's like we were crying because we were like what I know and I was like mortified but also I was like I was like oh I was witnessed and that's so powerful to be like you're like oh you heard me somebody heard me and it's like like the power of that you don't even know that that's a possibility you don't even know that that's an option to be heard um and but that's a lot of what getting that out in breathwork is is being heard and having that child inside of you be heard or that adult inside of you that has been blocked off because that's what your brain does it fractions off because the emotions are too much and you can't handle them all at once. So it just fractions them off. So you only have to deal with a little bit at a time. And so I probably did breath work four or five times while I was there. But after breath work, you stay disassociated for a while. Really? Yeah. Um, now, when you say disassociated, mm-hmm. are you going, are you just completely feel like you're that three-year-old girl um, or do you emotionally no. feel like you're three years old and there's also an adult part of your brain that's like i know i'm not a three-year-old girl but i feel like i just want to wrap my arms around somebody's leg and that's right that's yeah. right second one yeah i mean like consciously you know you're aware of what's going on like i know that like the dining room is up there i know that like my cabin is over here you i know, know i'm in treatment i know i'm in treatment at the same and this is what's so this is what you cannot explain to somebody who has not done who has not experienced this and i never could have explained it before but you are concurrently also feeling like you're three and you have those you have those terrors um in fact like um Every time, like every time uh, after the first time, the ca- the uh, the kitchen would fix me buttered noodles and would just have it ready. Like they just had ginger ale and buttered noodles. Because that was comforting to you. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted. And then, <laughs> is that what you loved as a kid? Mm-hmm. And uh, what would you feel when you would eat that? Uh, well, it was funny. They the first night they brought in like I was in my bed and 
when I disassociate, I isolate. I don't, I'm very afraid of other people. Like I just wanted, to, I was under the covers and I'm, and I'm, um, and so they have, um, you know, somebody to come sit with me. And, and I imagine all this time they're letting you know this is normal. This is what no, they, you're experiencing or they didn't know that you were experiencing. No, no, oh, no they know. They're very, exper- okay. this, they're very experienced. Like this is what they do. Yeah. They work with people who, have experienced trauma, you know, so, so they know severely. even though you're not saying I feel like I'm 3 or 4 years old, they know, okay, she's I'm not regressing. acting like me. I'm I'm not okay. talking like me, I'm not acting like me. I am but I am acting like me and talking like me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Great, cuz I just said completely opposite. No, I think I know what you. Yeah, I mean, and it's something that they see all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and like that's why you go there is to get this out in a safe environment like the real extreme parts of it you know to exercise that out of your body and it you can't do it all at once like you have to do it you can't even do it like two days in a row like you've got to emotionally recuperate you've got to rebuild those neural pathways um, so that you're experiencing that in a positive environment you know that's a lot of what trauma work is is to go back and and relive some of those moments and say like you're safe now you're not in harm's way anymore you don't have to feel bad anymore you're here, you're an adult, and you can take care of yourself. You can take care of that little girl. But it takes a while for that to wear off. Um, also, part of what... Oh, so they brought me dinner in. And um, she was like, I'll, I'll fix you a plate if you're hungry. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay. So she brings it in. And uh, I don't remember, but I remember that there were green beans on the plate. And I remember looking at them being like, why would you put those on there? God! Like... Like, I would eat everything. She's like, oh, of course she wouldn't want green beans. And I was like, no. Like, which, of course, I love green beans now. You know, I'm, I'm like, that's a healthy vegetable. I enjoy eating them. I feel good about myself. I might as well have knocked them off the fucking plate then. So they just started making me noodles because I was, that's what I wanted. Like, I just, I needed, like, I needed that. And the ginger ale would settle my stomach because that anxiety, that that's where you carry anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. ugh. When I was a, an a as an adult, when I went to go see my GI doctor, after they had done all this test and they were testing stuff for cancer and all this shit, he sat me down in the office and I was so nervous. I was like positive, you know, because I was just like, ugh, disgusting, blood, blah, everything was horrible. My stomach was always a mess. I was like ready for him to tell me that I had cancer because it was that bad. And he was like, are you stressed out about anything? Because I think you should maybe do yoga. And like in my head, it cut to like me, like shoving everything off and like throwing the table and being like, you fucking better, I'm gonna fuck your yoga. And I just sat there and I burst into tears. Like just, and I was just like, yeah. And that, cause that's where I carry it. Like, I carry all that anxiety in my stomach. And was this after the trauma work or before the trauma work? This is before the trauma work. When I was there. But, like, he was just like, because all of this is in your... That's where we hold a lot of traumas in our belly. Yeah, Yeah. he was just like, that's that's where you're carrying it. So they would always have ginger ale for me. That's why I have it here tonight in case this triggers me. Um, Have you been triggered since we started talking? mm Mm-mm. No. No. I'm pretty well... um, able to ground myself and like just the fact that I was able to become emotional is a good sign that I'm not disconnecting um so so keep those hard questions coming um (laughs) yeah um but they'll have ginger ale and noodles for me and then 
the thing that are you comfortable sharing the name of the place that you went uh, to for the trauma work yeah life healing center it's uh, life healing center it was in santa fe okay. and uh, yeah i mean it was it was i like when somebody finds a good oh, place i like to i like to spread the word it was a godsend yeah. i mean to you know and i'm still close with people that i was there with i mean it was it was exactly where i needed to go you know i mean and i really mean this it was like going to college finally for trauma and understanding that like like none of this would have well, none of this would have been broken out broken open if i hadn't experienced as an adult what i did but it's like you know it's like you're not going to open somebody up like for surgery because they have like a cyst on their neck for cancer and be like yeah this is going to be a problem open them up and be like well there's cancer everywhere else but we're really just in here for the cyst in the neck so uh good luck with the rest of it that's a great analogy no when you open it up it's like let's just like we can see it all and like that's when i could look back and be like oh i know what those were triggers in my childhood those moments to me are understood now. I can put them in context. And um, and like growing up codependent, a lot of people were like, uh, how could you possibly have stayed in that abusive relationship? W- worst question to ask somebody who has stayed in an abusive relationship because oftentimes they don't know. And it's a really hard cycle. But I think you don't think adding shame is uh, good to well, somebody who's. I mean, it sure makes the convo more interesting. Um, I mean, at that point, just fucking put it in the basket, you know, just pile it on. Um, but I can understand now. I can look back with compassion at myself and say, like, yeah, you were codependent, and you wanted to help fix that person, and that gave you purpose. You know, that's what I did with my mom was, and you know, and when you have trauma growing up, you get calibrated differently. It gets calibrated at a higher level, so you're always like, ah, nothing feels, this feels right. This feels like I have a purpose, and I don't, I sure as fuck don't know who I am. Yeah, because uh, lack of drama feels boring. It yeah. feels like you're bored. You're bored by and, uh, by healthy people. Using or, or, that word "boring," I, I want to just make this clear. Like, it's not like I was like, it's not like you want like an adventure. Like, man, everybody else sucks. It's literally like there's not enough bad stuff to solve. That's that's where you feel correct. Like. Right. I'm helping. Feels familiar. It feels familiar. And, and like you said, the sense of purpose. And yeah. also, it distracts you from your pain. It does. Because if I can focus on your pain, I don't have to think about what I'm going through. Absolutely. One, you know, a question that I really. It's well meaning when people ask it, but I fucking hate it is, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Because so <laughs> like, often. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, when I'm playing my video game, I don't have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But if I had go meet you for lunch, I might have to think about that. And on certain days, I'm ready and willing and able and love talking about what I'm feeling. But when I'm not, when I just yeah. want to go lick my wounds in the corner, black I and fucking white. hate it. Yeah, it's black and white. I can either, I'm either doing great or don't ask, yeah. you know, and there's no, it's, and that's part of therapy too, is to try to start to live in that gray area and see like, what does that feel like to sometimes feel feelings and walk through them and, you know, one of the most difficult things to hear in, you know, at SAD camp was, you know, they talk about self-harming behaviors as a way to numb out. And there's, you know, drugs or drinking and some people cut and then they threw in disassociation. And I was like, hey, 
hey, hold on. I don't have any control over that. Yeah. I get triggered and then suddenly I am possessed. And they were like, this is the work because yes, you can. And I was like, I don't, I don't believe you. I think that that's bullshit. And I was angry because I was like, you're, there's no way I could have controlled these episodes that I've been having that have really dominated my life for four years on a regular basis. Well, previously you couldn't have, but yeah. it sounds like they believe if they give you tools, you and, could. And they're right. And so now I have the tools and now I get it. But getting to that point meant doing some really, really hard work with me because I was so resentful that these things had happened in my life. And I was mostly, I was resentful. First, I was resentful at the people that had done it. But you know what? That went first. I was pretty much able to forgive and forget and tuck that away. And then I was like, it's still happening. I'm over this. Are you shitting me? So then I became resentful at my own body. And I would I had already grown up resentful of my own body. And so then you just start to punish it more. And it's a horrible, horrible cycle. In what ways were you resentful at your body? Um... Like one time I woke up driving. That'll ruin your day. <laughs> you know, I and I How was that resentful at your body though? Oh, because you would do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like what the fuck is the matter with me? I'm wrong. Yeah, and I would be like and then I would wake up and be like who went out and got corn dogs? Who I'm on a I'm trying to look good. I gained so much weight. Like I mean probably 30 pounds just because I would um I would disassociate. Do you have, did, did they uh, label you or, or what? What's the word? Um, diagnose. Diagnose. I'm so sorry. <laughs> diagnose you with. It's late for adults. With DID, dissociative no. identity disorder. That's no. something that's completely different. Yeah, and in fact, that's important. Let's talk about that because disassociation is um, for people who don't understand. Yeah, we haven't even defined that. Like disassociation happens on a pretty wide spectrum. And everybody, everybody has kind of disassociated. We've all disassociated a little bit. Like when you're driving your car mm -hmm. and you start thinking about, you know, Rhonda and that dress that she was in and the mm -hmm. Coors Light you'd like to have when you get to see her. And oh shit, you're already two exits past where you're supposed to be. That's a low level of disassociation. Oh. Yeah. The high level on the other end of that spectrum is, oh, what was that show that Diablo Cody did that was so great? Um where she has multiple personality disorders. Uh, t uh, Tara, help. United States of United Tara. States of Tara. Well, she has multiple personality mm -hmm. disorder, or DID is what they call it now. And that's where you have personalities that come out that are wholly, they're all different from each other. They all have their own definitions. I'm like in the middle. I'm like smack in the middle of that, where like I'll disassociate and I have... Um, it's a subset of, I'm going to say the wrong word. So it's like your co cookie dough and she's fully baked. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And I'd love to, I'd much rather be cookie dough. <laughs> Eat me raw. That's, that's, no, don't do that. Don't, don't say that. Um, don't say that line. Don't say it out loud. Oh, you did it. Um, so I'll, I, my mind will fraction off and I, it will allow me to not feel whatever or not experience whatever tr trigger that I have and I will, have amnesia, basically. 
Um, it's basically like blacking out sober. Hmm. Um, but what complicates that is that when I disassociate, it's so over overwhelming that I would I would numb it with alcohol, I would numb it with food, and I would isolate. I would numb. It, I would watch like eight hours of Netflix at a time, and just whatever I could to get through that feeling. You know, whatever I could, because I knew it would just be a matter of time before I would come back, and so. Um, so were you were self aware that that was mm-hmm. yeah that's, happening yeah and that it's, that's so there's it, kind of a that's what I mean it's kind of like kind of like you're watching yourself mm-hmm. I guess yeah yeah a little bit and I mean like there were like the amnesia the real bad amnesia is is when it gets really bad when um and it doesn't happen all the time. But um, is there a name for the type of amnesia that's related to it's that? called dissociative amnesia. Okay. It's like a <clears throat> oh, I should look. For, uh, I have like what a, what it's actually called. But um, yeah, it, it, there's a type of PTSD. Some people call it complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. Oh, subtype. That's what it is. It's dissociative dissociative subtype of PTSD. But um, like a lot of a lot of uh, war veterans or are um, people with sustained um, domestic abuse. Um, and, uh, that will happen. And so that's what's happened. Um, and that I will just check out and it, um, you know, like it, like it, and I don't want to get into too much of like what happened with the abuse because when I, I, I I don't think it's, it's, it's that important. No, but Um, I can say that like, there were times when I would start to disassociate mm -hmm. and I would, think about um i can like i would start to float above my body not really was this with the partner who Mm -hmm. was abusive Mm -hmm. yeah so it started like i would do it on a really low level there you know because i already had you know ptsd then so i would do it on a really low level there where like my memory of it is i can watch myself i can watch what's happening from above um kind of like i did when i was a kid and would you know and then i would just be at our wedding and that's what i would go to because that was what would be what would help you know to Mm. be like if i can just get there we'll be fine (laughs) which is so sick being at your wedding in the future Mm -hmm. thinking about uh, okay yeah Yeah, fantasy yeah if i can if i can just get there it'll be fixed you know and that's where my which is so sad but you know like again in treatment being witnessed by other people they were like other women because I was in a women's group and they were like, yeah, that's what happens. That's normal. And I was like, I thought I was crazy. Isn't that the best feeling when you find out that you're not a freak? <sighs> I can. I mean, that's the thing about like when we talk about like what heals this kind of trauma and like what's been the most beneficial to me. It's being in a group of other people. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. It's the most for me. It has been the single most healing it's thing. Just to to. To hear and be witnessed is... Where they have nothing to gain by mm-mm. witnessing you. They have no reason to lie to you. Nothing. No. No. They, they, and they have been through similar, but everybody's experience is their own. You know, like, nobody gets to walk out feeling like they went through something more fucked up. Like, there's not a competition. Everybody is there because they need to heal. And that's the only reason why they're there. And to be isolated you know so much of abuse and trauma like you isolate yourself because you're like i don't want to bother anybody else with this or this is wrong this was my fault or what happened to me wasn't bad enough yeah god that's so common oh i'm not 
like if, if I, you're even saying that to yourself yeah go get help yeah go get help and i said it to myself for a long time because i was told by this person like not only like you're being a you're being a drama queen a drama queen but also like nobody's gonna believe you you know like i'm gonna run you out of town before anybody else you know will believe you and so to sit in a room with people who are like not only do we believe you but like no that's horrible don't minimize that because when and when you when you minimize things it just exacerbates the shame mm-hmm. it really does and so to have it to have that minimization be lifted off of you and to just let it be what it is so much shame left me it leaves my body and you feel like then you start to feel it light you return the shame to where it belongs which is on the abuser yeah and that was one of the that was one of the awesome uh things that we did there too was we did a lot of art therapy which is something that like again i would be like that sounds i my eyes rolled out of my head around the world and then thought twice about getting back in my eye sockets they were just like how about you fuck off for a living and um but one of the things i did was a, a shame project where you write down anything that you have shame about and you know you can make it whatever you want it to be like whatever your like vessel or basket or whatever it, you need it to be but anything that you have shame about that you think that is your fault or whatever write it down on a piece of paper and i made mine um i had i found like a pencil box and painted it to look like a raffalo's pizza box because <laughs> that's what i used to do and raffalo's will be the is the place that will let you order wine and pizza those people probably feel worse for me than and more than anybody else in the tri-state area. Um, we're not in the tri-state area, Lauren. I know, but you already said it. Um, but so I would put it in there and then you just fucking burn it. And it is the best feeling. Mm. It is the best feeling to get rid of that. But, um, but yeah, oh, art therapy is uh, something that I never thought. What? Two questions. I want to find out what some of the other tools are you use to cope when you get triggered. And the other mm-hmm. thing I want to know is, um, have you been triggered by the stuff in the news lately, uh, the domestic violence? Um, yeah. Yeah, actually. And what are your, what are your thoughts um, and what feelings come up for you? You know. Because you would qualify what happened to you as domestic violence, right? Very much so. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's really hard. To, you have to really ground yourself when you're reading that stuff. Um, there's a lot of grounding tools that I've been taught. Um, some of them are really simple. Like, what, well, the first one is to to really practice being aware of your body and being aware of your body sensations because there are clues. Like, I will start to tunnel vision. That's one thing. Like that therapy has done is that you have to be able to slow the process of disassociation down to go frame by frame how does it happen where can we stop it so doing things like yoga and learning how to be aware of my body and what sensations are coming has been a big part of it so in practicing that then i can read them before am i I balling my fists are my palms getting sweaty does my gut feel tight Mm -hmm. is my labor is my my breathing shallow do i have nail marks in my hands because i've balled my hands so tight like what do you do because if you're reading that and that's happening you need to take a walk you need to call somebody you need to count backwards you need to try and say the alphabet backwards a big grounding technique is just naming things in the room i can't wait for the date 
I'm on one day, you know, or like interview I'm on one day when I get triggered because sometimes it's like a smell or like a sound like the, the sound of a Blackberry will fucking send me. Why? Um, because of that. Your abuser. Yeah. And, and it was just text, 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 your, you know, whatever, all the terrible things that he would say. And I would just bury myself. And so sometimes when I hear that sound. I have to ground myself, mm. but I can't wait for that interview where he's like, so um, tell me something you don't like about yourself. And I'm like, yeah, big pin, uh, Apple, t- uh, computer, table, your toupee, fuck, fuck, I did not get this job. Um, but I mean, there are those basic things that you have to okay. go, that's what you have to do. Um, but I also make myself read them. And then when I start to get triggered, I'm like, you you have to pull back. And sometimes I haven't. Sometimes I've I've just been like kind of sent by them when it was overwhelming. Like you get flooded. That's what we call it is you get flooded. And I am better at that now. But I tell you one like Gone Girl was actually I, I, I haven't seen it yet. So don't ruin anything for me. Don't worry. OK. Um, trigger warning. <laughs> for you for me Um, i don't know for you i don't think for you for i was shocked um because there was some stuff in there that i never expected to see acted out that happened to me sort of kind of in a way i don't want to be too graphic because i think it'll be triggering for people but um there was something that happened in the movie that uh, made me go, I really wish I'd actually read the book in book club instead of just the first 8% of the book. But and so I would know that this happened. Um, and it fucked me up for a week. Like a week. Um, on the way home um, from the movie, I tunnel visioned out and I was I could feel myself going into it. And um, and I was like, okay, this is where you're you're going out. You're going. And I had to force myself to turn around to the person I was with and be like, this is happening. And he was like, yeah, I know. I can tell. Like, so we'll get you home. And then um, and then one of the tricks that they taught me is to have an ice pack, which is why I have it here. Oh. Yeah. There you go. I'm full circle. Yeah. An um, hour, uh, hour and a half later, yeah. <laughs> uh, she walked in with an, an ice pack. And <laughs> I wondered, what's that? And she said, well, we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, because um, if you give yourself... Um, I forget what it's called, but it's like a, a bodily sensation, like a uh, like a heightened sensation that can pull you out of it. Oh. And that is one of the tricks that they taught me, that they would come bring me bags of ice and they put them on my feet, like in my cabin in Santa Fe, and put bags of ice on my hands and on my feet. And it kind of shocks your system back into the present. Um, but yeah, so that was... And it, it kind of... Um, it took my anxiety up a level because I just wasn't expecting it. And that's going to happen. In the movie. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. And so it's it's about a lot of that is about like having setting up your life so that you can be as, as supported as possible. So when those things happen, it doesn't rock the boat like it did for me. Like right. it really did because I just I wasn't doing everything I needed to do. I'd been a little bit lax, you know. So it's something that I have to be aware of every day. And it will, it is so much better now than it has ever been. And I think they say usually like four or five years for that kind of trauma to be worked through. So we're almost there. So I think... How long ago were you in treatment? Um, f- Two months. 
three months, two months, but it's not. Um, no, uh, how long ago? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how long were you in there for? Three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So I when I met you, you were, had been out like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. But listen, that was like the last and the end of the road. I've also been hospitalized three times in the last two years, you know, and it was. And we haven't even. We haven't even. I mean, I'm telling you, sorry. <laughs> yeah. We did an, a, a, uh, an episode um, with Nadere Fanoyan. Um, it was a two and a half hour episode. And we never even got to talk about her being a psychiatric nurse. Hilarious. That's how that is how much stuff she's lived through yeah. in, in her yeah. in her life. And I think your your story sounds very similar it's, to hers. It's, it's, it's creeping. Yeah, it's we a haven't Thanksgiving even got, dinner of trauma. My whole step family is dead. <laughs> like my whole like two of them committed suicide and my sister had cancer. Like we we won't even get there. We won't even get there. Like that's what I was saying. That that's a whole other podcast. But these are. But this is the. the this is that has nothing to do the, with this. Yes, this is yeah. the the your primary. Yeah, exactly. Primary which is why thing. I was like, eh. And it's, it's where all the hope is. It's which where is, all the hope is. And there's so much. Like there's so much now. I mean, that's the thing. Is that like, I had to lie to a hospital last year and tell them that I was. Oh, I hope my insurance isn't listening. Uh I had to lie to them to tell them I was suicidal so that they would take me, which is horrible for our... I know a lot of people who've done that, and I don't... I Actually, I don't see anything wrong with that. No. I really don't. I think the shame <laughs> should be on our medical, on our healthcare system. Can you believe... I, I mean, I was, I was so confused about what was happening to me, because, like, before you get that diagnosis, you just... I was like, there's... I wanted to go to the hospital and just have them transfuse my blood and just say, I don't know what's in here, but something's wrong with me. Like, and help. I, just please help. Yeah. And no one, everybody was like, eh, blah, blah, blah. so I, I basically, they were like, are you a suicidal? And I was like, no. And, oh, okay. I don't think we can take you. I was like, I will fucking be suicidal if you don't take me. How about that? Is that, will that work? Will that work? Oh, you have a bed free. How about that? Great. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I was just like, I, I, and on top of that, Part of part of why this trauma, um, part of why I was triggered so often, was oh, I can't. We even touched on this. Um, I've always had issues of like depression. Like I did not come into you know. Obviously, my mom has always said like, just so you know, we are horm- hormonally sensitive. The women in our family, which is like a saying from like whatever the seventeen hundreds. Like, what does that medically mean? No one knows. We're just hormonally sensitive. I, no concept. Does that mean when we get our periods, we freak out or what? It was, uh, it, I was left with that and she just smoke bombed out of the conversation. Like I didn't know um, because she, she won't get into it. What does that mean? Well, just that, just so you know. Okay. So when I was, yeah, like when I started when I was 13 and I got my period, it was horrible. It was just horrible. Um, and the, the mood It wasn't swing, a fantastic time like the other girls? Well, yeah. I mean, I took a lot of Darvacet for it, so that yeah. was fantastic, because yeah. uh, my mom had that laying around the house. Yeah. I was like, fuck your mad Oh, man, I got Darvacet. What's that? No, 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 you can't have... I don't know what it is. I'm just take a lot of it. It's a sweet, sweet drug. That's yeah. what it is. Which is now, like, banned, I think. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm proud. Um... So yeah, it was horrible and I would have really bad mood swings. And my, not until I got my period and started going through that did my dad finally go, "Oh, maybe this is a thing." Maybe this isn't just your mom being annoying. Yeah, exactly. And that was a big he was like, "Oh, 
Well, too late. Marriage is already done. And so as I got older, I would, I've always been the kind of girl that would just be like randomly cry in the shower sometimes for no reason. You know, like, like if you've dated me, you know, in my 20s, like, you know, like sometimes I just, what's wrong? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. It wasn't time for PMS either. You know, it was like on and off week. And I was like, but you know, when I had PMS, I was very sad. Um, And then it always got better. It always got better. So it was just like, whatever, man, I guess I'm weird. So when this all started happening, um, I was, I started, I guess after the assault, it took me about four months to go, it took me four months to go to the rape crisis center. And then it took me like two more months to get into therapy. And then like, and then maybe like, I don't know, a couple months after that to meet my psychiatrist, um, a new psychiatrist. Cause I'd had one in Chicago that I'd, I would just see when I was on the road doing shows mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and always convenient. But she was like, this is big. Like you need somebody there to work with. So I started work with somebody who they said was, you know, kind of hormonally, um, a, a specialist. And after she, we did this like two month chart thing, she was like, you know, you have PMDD. And I was like, I can't take any more fucking letters. Are you serious with me? I cannot. My basket is full. I don't want any more letters. I need a smaller font if oh I'm going to cram all these in. I was like, I have mental flair. Like, this is <laughs> not okay. And what uh, does PMDD stand for? Uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Basically, it's a very fancy way of saying, like, not only am I affected during the week that my hormones shift for PMS, but also I think it's the luteal phase. So I get it twice in a month where I don't get my period twice in a month, but I get all the fun, mental, emotional um, sadness that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all 10 times as worse as most people, as most women that they go through. Like, it's just more, uh, it's just, it's just more extreme. And so I was like, well, that makes me feel better. Is it sponsored by Red Bull? It's sponsored by Red Bull. Red Bull, we're going to fuck you up more. Um, I hope you edit that part out. That was terrible. Um, but it was triggering my PTSD. So every two weeks. Oh my God. Every two weeks without, because it wasn't being treated. I wasn't taking birth control. Like I wasn't, cause you know, your PTSD, you're not fucking anybody. <laughs> like you can't, like you just can't, you just, you know, I hate by, it. By your choice, you mean? Yeah, I okay. could. Well, I, 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 it I was. It have been terrifying the idea of being physically the first time I was, it was with a guy or who's, the opposite, which is being super promiscuous. I that did t- not that go tends- that route. Thank God. But I did not go that route. I was horrified. And but I did. I tried to date somebody and um, he's still a really good friend of mine. But the first time that we had sex, I mean, I cried and I I turned my head away and just quietly like I didn't want how awful is that he would have had like he had all the compassion knew what was going he would have been so wonderful but I was like I don't want to bother him right now I'm not worth it I'm not worth like I don't want to let him know this makes me feel like I'm being raped again Ah, you know that's annoying to people especially people that care enough about me to have sex with me like the mindset that you're in, like, I have so much, like, I grieve for that girl that she didn't get to have, you know, that she didn't, she wasn't able to take care of herself. 
in a way that was helpful, like that she had to re-experience that all over again when, you know, you just don't know how to ask for help. You don't know what to ask for. And you're carrying shame that shouldn't be yours. Oh, God, so much of it. And, um, and yeah, so I, I couldn't be with anybody. And so I definitely wasn't, I definitely wasn't on birth control, which ended up being, and the right birth control ended up being an integral part of fixing all of this. The hormones. Because we had to get that leveled out, like the biological um, part of it leveled out so that I wasn't constantly being triggered because my life became this yo-yo where it would be like, I would just be out for four days. I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't communicate with anybody. I couldn't look at anybody. I would hide in my room and only go to the bathroom and my roommates were asleep or out of the house. Um, I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't look at the phone. Sometimes I didn't even know how to operate my phone. Like, that's where we got. Um, and uh, now I lost my train of thought. The getting uh, the birth oh, control right, leveled right, everything right. out. Yeah. And so once that finally, and so, oh, that's what I was saying. So you would, I would be out. And then after like four days and the end of it, you just don't sleep. You don't, there's always a day that you don't sleep. And then, um, you just suddenly feel like yourself again. Wow. You slowly feel like yourself again and you just start to put the pieces back together. You're kind of like, look around and you're like, oh, corn dogs again, motherfucker. Oh, well, I want to start putting the clothes up. Whereas if I had tried to do that, like moving through space when you're in an episode like that, moving through space hurts. The only two places I could be were in my bed, in the bathtub, or on my closet floor. I spent a lot of time this on my closet floor, which is crazy. It's so being in a closet is. I've so, come out of the closet, everybody. It's so, which is. It's so. Uh, I think that's why I love to go into closets when I was on shrooms, because it. Did felt, you really? Yeah, it was. It felt so safe. You know what's crazy? My mom was like, "Lauren, that's what I did when I was little. I would get into the closet." You know, after Dee Dee'd been raging, you know, and just that was where I felt safe. And I was like, well, that's another thing you passed down. Hooray. <laughs> but yeah, I could only, and I would get in the bathtub and I would be there for a while. And then I, taking a bath or just being in the tub? Mm, no, taking a bath. Okay. The, the, the water felt like, because I was surrounded by something that was, it was comforting. Like mm -hmm. I felt, I felt held by something. Um, you know, at the time, you're never like, boy, I really feel held by something right now. You know? <laughs> you're just like, this doesn't feel awful. Yeah, this, this, it, that's exactly right. Everything feels, this feels less awful. Mm -hmm. And then I could be, and then I would have to get in the bed again. You never think about it being nurturing. No. You know, you're just like, this doesn't make my skin feel on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, but it would be like a ping pong, and then I would have to scramble to be like, what do I need to fix? What do I need to like put back in order? What do I need to prep? Because it's going to happen again. And so like your anxiety level is so because it's you never let it down. Never because the shoe other shoe was always about to drop. And in this entire time, I'm doing the best acting of my entire life. Yeah, because you got a nice collection of masks oh, to buddy. choose from. I have an Academy Award closet <laughs> full of masks because uh you know, the people who, like my very, very close friends, uh, the people I live with, they knew, but almost nobody else did. And I was amazing at it. 
I was I will, that I will really give myself that because I was like, I will not. There was a part of me that was like, it was that part of me when they were like, are you suicidal? I was like, no, like, why would I be working this hard and trying to go to a hospital if I wanted to kill myself? If I wanted to kill myself, I'd just fucking kill myself. I know how. I'm smart. I am trying to put my life back together. And I don't want to live. I know that if I can just figure out what this is, then I can fix it and I can all go back to normal. Which is not happening. Uh, I mean, did the did the rape crisis center were there? Were they the ones that led you to going to the Santa Fe place? No, God bless them. And I was I it wa- not a good experience at the uh, rape crisis center. I, I want to speak really carefully here because they are a place that, if you have been sexually assaulted, you should absolutely contact immediately. They. Um, were very helpful and I'm very glad my doctor my doctor referred me to them and I went I was not able to do their group therapy because I was on the road and they were like it's a closed group you know we need you to be here for the entire time and I was like I can't commit to that but I'm desperate for this and um but they were the ones that recommended the therapist that I have now mm-hmm. and she's the one who recommended Santa Fe but the rape crisis center was I saw them, uh, I had a regular standing appointment with them, and I'm laughing because I have a joke based on this. It, I, God bless them. There was one time when she was, they were doing some project that involved t-shirts, and girls would like make t-shirts, and they would be held up, and, and I know, I understand the concept of it. It's like, hey, you're, it's being displayed, and your trauma's being witnessed by other people, and like we've talked about, that's so important. But I, I was not ready for that at the time. I needed a lot more, you know, because I had such concurrent trauma that it just was like, and the poor woman was like, maybe you should make a t-shirt. I was like, I'm fucking out of here. Fuck you. <laughs> like a t-shirt. So, and I mean, to best meaning, best meaning, but it just wasn't enough. Like I needed more. It wasn't what you needed it right w- then for you. But so, but you recommend that if somebody has been assaulted to go to a right crisis. Absolutely, because even if they're 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 the best landing place mm-hmm. um, to go, that and uh, it's the UCLA right rape crisis center where I went. Um, they're an amazing landing place, and they have resources. If they can't get you what you need, they will find you help right, i'm glad to hear that and that was essential for me and the but, rape rape and incest national network is also uh, a great uh resource r-a-i-n-n.org and it doesn't matter how long ago the trauma happened it could you could be 70 years old and it happened when you were two mm-hmm. they will um treat it as if it happened uh, yesterday from from what i uh, understand yeah it took me like it took me like four months to even admit it that it had happened like I was just in shock for two days uh, and then I finally got my my doctor when I finally got myself to my doctor and I told him what happened he was like you didn't come in immediately to like get checked and I was like I, I, I don't know how to explain and he was just like yeah you need to go but I'm, I was laughing because I have, a, I, have a, I have a joke in my act that I could never tell anybody where it came from but where I talk about the fact that like people should have more fun and like I walked out and got a parking ticket and this other guy got a parking ticket and uh, he got really mad and i was just like oh like you should like you should just fill a parking ticket with glitter and that's how you send it in instead of being mad like just fill mm-hmm. your parking ticket with glitter and that came from a day where that's not the whole joke so don't fucking judge me i hear you i hear all of you judging me right now it's much better on stage come see me live at Espa lauren jk um it was my birthday uh i don't know 
two, three, four years ago, whatever it was. It was my birthday, and I went to the crisis center, and I, that was the t-shirt day. It was the t-shirt day, and I was just like, man, this fucking sucks. And I walk out, and I've gotten the fucking ticket. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, who gets a ticket at a rape crisis center on their birthday? Fuck you, God. <laughs> Fuck you. Are you kidding? And I was so, but I sat there, and I looked at it, and I was like, this is, I can either get really angry and go act out and i was like no that's what i want to do i want to fill it with glitter i'm so mad that this is hilarious to me like of course this happened to me (laughs) and i'm not going to be mad about it because then they win Mm -hmm. how about that you know then they win then he wins then the other he wins and you know when you go through um this kind of trauma, you always have those voices and that's the committee in your head is the people who abused you. And they're like watching, they're like, yeah, see, you are a piece of shit. You deserve this. And you, that's all you hear is like, and you have to fight that and be like, no, how about I like that? How about that? There was a time when, um, uh, during when I was, uh, being stalked that I, was um, one of the things that happened, just to give this a tad bit of backstory, was that um, he either had a computer, like a screen sharing program on my computer, or we're not exactly sure, but my lawyer was like, we don't know if he has. He he knew everything you were doing. Yeah, it was insanity. Um, Like I would go to get on a website to see what time like the Dodger Stadium uh, opened for tickets. And before I could even like, but like I would get on the page, I would get a text that said they open at 10. I mean, in my apartment, in my own apartment, and you're in complete denial that something like that could even be fucking possible. So there was one night when I was, um, I was just real depressed, I think, about that and freaked out and in denial, trying to not think about it and wanted to numb it out. So I was like watching TV on my floor and drinking wine and just by myself and, um, and uh, little Lauren here, charming, classy girl that she is, uh, woke up with her uh, head uh, uh, resting in a pillow of hummus. Like I had just passed out in the whole tub of hummus and woke up and it was just on my head, which, which I'm sure was a lovely picture. Um, I should recreate that for my album cover. But um, I sat there and was like, oh my God, like, I wonder if he can see this. That's a real fear that I had. Wow. Was, and I lived with for a long time was I wonder if he can see this everywhere I went, everything I did online, I still have it today. Where Do people I, think you were crazy mm-hmm. that you would say that too? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if I... you know, I don't. Yeah. I 100% believe you, but yeah. when, you oh, have, no. when you have all this surrounding stuff yeah. that you're dealing with mm-hmm. and the mood swings, and, and then you bump into somebody who doesn't understand mm-hmm. any of the complexity There's of so mental many, illness and trauma. I had to not care. Here's yeah. what I had to do. I had to save my life and I had to not care. You know, because it's like, sure, I had mood swings where I was like depressed. Now I know that now now that I've met enough comedians, everybody does that. Mine was no worse than anybody else, you know, um, before I met this guy. And um, it's I got depressed just like everybody else, turns out, um, just more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cried in the shower about it. I don't like to let people see that. You know, it was very private. Um but yeah. Oh, and whatever he told people. I mean, I've heard some real choice things. But um, 
but what happened that day was I was like, I can either, I can either flip out about this, but that would mean admitting that it was a real possibility, which I just wasn't ready to. That he saw everything you did. Yeah. Which I was like, it's much more likely that there's a computer sh- a screen sharing program because yeah. he had hacked into everything I'd done. Everything. Every, my phone account, my MySpace, my whatever, all that posted terrible stuff. And he had been like monitoring me, you know? He would, well, we can't get into it. But, uh, I mean, we could, but it's boring. Um, but I made a, des- like, my brain made a decision right there of like, you know what? I'm going to own this. And that's something I didn't do. Like, you grow up in the South, you're just like, everything's private. I'm not going to put anything out there. I'm not going to be vulnerable. Especially for a great comedian. Um, but I was like, right at that very moment when I woke up in the Hamas, I was like, I'm going to get to it first. How about that? How about I'm going to I'm gonna make fun of myself first. And so you can go back, I mean, and look at like the first tweet that I had like this, um, where I just started being like, I'm stupid. How about this? Like, sometimes you wake up. I can't remember what it was, but like, sometimes you wake up with hummus and that's just fine. And I felt so much better. And that is where my Twitter voice came from. And before that, I was a moron. I mean, I was like everybody else trying to figure out, you know, missing good Chicago people today. I like pizza. Do you guys like pizza? <laughs> like, stupid stuff. And But right at that moment, that's where my voice shifted and I found and all of a sudden people would identify with that. And so this incredible positive came out of something truly horrifying where I was like, oh, oh, I'm going to run with this. Like if I'm more open about stuff like this, then not only do I not feel like somebody's going to find out about it. You were living an awful moment. I was. (laughs) I really, really was. Yeah. And, um, By your own choice, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's it. And and that one moment has changed my entire career. Like I have gotten jobs and job offers, and met people, and had opportunities I would have never had had I not had Twitter to um, beat him as to an the outlet. Punch. Yeah, to beat him to the punch. Beat him. That's exactly right. And so it was. And then I. And then it. And then it became not about him it became about me and i was like oh yeah this is my this is great and i would have people identify with it and then when i would have these started to have these disassociative episodes that was my lifeline was like that was how i let like nobody knew that i was you know except unless you live with me or you were my close friends my family didn't even know for a long time that i was disassociating and isolating because I was still able to use that voice where of like, you know, I could just post these random thoughts that were funny. I could still do it throughout all of this, even though sometimes it was coming from a much younger place. Mm. And that was how I kept this front up of, and I, you know, I'm st- it's still me. I'm still writing those jokes. It's just, um, and and then people would. It sounds like you're now doing it because you choose to, though, absolutely. not because you oh, yeah, had it, to. Yeah, that 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 took its own life pretty quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't mean took its own life. Like, I mean, um, you know, took on a life of its own. That's the word, yeah. not suicide. I love how, it, in all of the hurdles that you've had, you have found what you have control over and what you don't have control over. And you've 
educated yourself and you've processed all this stuff and you've come out of it with a big ass fucking tool belt. Yeah. A big ass tool belt. Well, what's the other option? You know, to live a I small had, fucking sad life. Well, and, what I had to do was learn how to replace resentment with uh, responsibility. And that's real tough. I am so using that as a soundbite for the, the next. <laughs> Seriously. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that That's, was tough. Like, I had to learn how to say, like, yeah, I'm mad at all these things. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at my own body. But I got to do things like, you know what? Alcohol's off the table right now. It's off the table. It's not. And I'm. And I was mad about it. But when I when I drink, sometimes it's fine. When I drink and I get triggered, it's twice as bad yeah you know so like i can go out and have a couple glasses of wine with my girlfriends and it'll be fine but i can also go out and have a couple glasses of wine with my girlfriends and someone will say something or something will come up and i'll go home and the guard is out of the guardhouse and so and that's what alcohol does is it takes the guard out of the guardhouse and you're just open. You're wide open. You you can't use any of the tools that you've been given. You know. Do you is alcohol an addiction, or do you consider yourself an alcoholic? Do you have any addictions? Uh oh. Well, she shook her head. No, that she's not an alcoholic. Uh well, I'm open to the fact that um. I mean, I here's the thing. When I was uh, when I was younger, I went to um. I did outpatient to quit coke when I was like 22. Mm-hmm. We partied in college, and then all of a sudden, I was like. Um, I'm doing this a lot and I don't like that. Like it was pretty easy for me to get into, but I pretty quickly was like, nope, not going to do this. Don't want this in my life. Want to make sure that I get the help that I need and did outpatient for like three weeks and nipped that in the bud. And um, it was great. And it's, you know, you don't find yourself obsessing about uh, drugs or alcohol. No, but uh, well, for alcohol for this, I did. That was why I I mean today. No. Okay. No. Okay. No, no, no. I, you know, while I, um, when I have an episode, then I would drink. But in the, you know, it's like, I know people who are like, oh, yeah, well, I had to have a drink every day. And I was like, yeah, that's not me. But I'm open to that possibility. You know, like, I'm not like, I'm not a this or that. Like, I'm not. If that rears its head again, you'll. (laughs) Absolutely. But. But right now, it's out of the question. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so important to. You know, because what this does is it changes your neural pathways. The trauma changes your neural pathways, and you have to do a lot of work to change them back because you can build new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the joys of being uh, hospitalized in a variety of time zones <laughs> and regions in the country, uh, I like to have a punch card, um, is that you get things explained to you. Uh, in different regional ways. Mm-hmm. So when when neural pathways was explained to me in California, um, I, yeah, in California, they were like, uh, okay, so here's the deal. You know, when you get when you're traumatized, your your neural pathways change and they go in this you know this other direction that makes you numb and disassociate because that's how you need to survive. But the um, it's so severe that the trauma is so severe that it makes such a mark that any time that you come into something that triggers you, it's very easy. Your brain automatically goes back over there and thinks it's re-experiencing the trauma again, even though it's not, even though you might just be seeing a guy with a, a normal guy with a beard, your body goes, oh God, it might be him. And then it disassociates or it needs to numb. 
And that makes sense to me. So you've got to you've got to do the work to build new neuropathways to say, no, there's another way. And we don't have to feel those feel that fear and re-experience that fear anymore. When my parents hospitalized me in Arkansas this year, (laughs) I got to experience a different explanation. Um, I had a pretty bad episode at home and they took me to the ER. And um, when I was uh, spending my time there, I was uh, in a group where they were explaining that to everybody. And there was like, you know, I don't know, eight or nine women uh, in the unit. And they were like, all right, so here's how this works. Um, so there's neuropathways, and they get dug in, and they're, and she just looked around, and everybody was like, huh? What are you talking about? So she kind of doubled back, and she goes, okay, okay, all right. Think about it like this. Y'all know when you take your uh, your four-wheeler and you go through the mud and it makes those real deep divots and everybody's like, oh, yeah. She's like, that's a neural pathway. They're like, oh, well, shit. Why don't you just say this? Like, no exaggeration. That's exactly the conversation. And I mean, it makes it, they're like, oh, yeah, because it just goes right in. It makes complete sense, you know, to an argument. And I was telling my aunt about this, and she goes, Lauren, I didn't actually understand it until you said the four-wheeler. I was like, okay, well, there you go. It just, just some people. That's awesome. Yeah, some That's people, awesome. it's, uh, it's uh, it makes more sense that way. And we all have to have it explained in in our own way. Yeah, I mean, you know. There's so many things that I didn't understand until I could experience them. And then I was like, oh. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because it's so fucking hard to talk about. It's this so podcast, fucking hard to understand. I, know, I, I was not saying that for you no, to I begin know. to. No, I know, I know. But I mean, I think it's like one of the things, like changing those Changing those neural pathways is so hard because those divots are so deep. So deep. So deep. Trauma burns them in and you have to do so much work to get out of them and so much of what you do defeats the work that you've done. So it's like your whole life is fall down seven times, get up eight. And the get up eight is the only part that is important. And there were some days when there was nothing I could do and there was nobody I could talk to, but I could listen to this podcast and go, oh, like there are elements, like we were talking about being witnessed, there are elements in somebody's story that I would be like, oh, oh, okay, that sounds that sounds familiar. You know, it's really difficult when people are like, you know, I know that you've experienced this when with depression and stuff, when people are like, why don't you just go for a walk? And you're like, why don't you just kiss my fucking grits? And I always say, like, my my therapist would say something like, you know, we've got to start, you know, like, I want, if you just start healing, it's going to, it's going to snowball. Like, I haven't tried to do that on my own. I'm like, like, you know what it's like? It's like being, um, it's, I'm like, it's like I'm in a deep well and somebody throws you a rope and they're like, why don't you just climb out of it? But you're in handcuffs, and you're like, I'd love to. And they're like, here, I'll throw you this tool. And you're like, still can't get it. Mm -hmm. Handcuffed. Do you understand? I need help getting out of the handcuffs. What about this tool? I'll throw you down a wrench. I'll throw you down a bolt cutter. And it's just like... And you don't even know how to say that you're handcuffed. You don't don't even even understand that you're handcuffed. You just think it works for other people. But the shitty hand that I was dealt in my life applies to this also, and... Most of us are wrong yeah. that 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 
our shitty hand also applies to whether or not the chances of us getting better yeah. uh, exist. And, and, and I don't know if that made any sense, but... No, it did. And you, you sit down there and you're just like, everybody else has access to these tools. Yeah. And if I was worth something, I would be able to access them too. And I guess... So that, why would you move? Why would you even try? Why would you even try? You know, it's much better to sit in a ball... And this is where I got a couple of times where people kept throwing down tools and I was like, I don't know why I can't access them. And I got to a place where um, my therapist uh, in Santa Fe, she was like, oh, wow, what you're describing, you have gone past hopelessness into a place called apathy, where I literally had gone so long and worked so hard and the... And I just said, you know what? I don't even know why we're here. Like I got there. I got to a bad place where I was like, I can't access it. What am I doing? Why don't I just wait to die? And so I was just waiting to die because there was no tool for me to pick up and use. And that is such, it's exactly like she said, it's not even a hopeless place, you know, because hopeless implies that there might be somewhere hope to gain again. Right. And I was like, no, even if I, you gave me hope, what's the point? What's the point? And that place, I mean, you know, there was a time when I did try and kill myself. And it, that's, you know, this is, <laughs> I can't do it without flair. When my mm. parents took me to the ER, and I don't remember this um, because I was completely, you know, disassociated. I remember s- flashes of it. But my mom had been driving me um, from my lake house to the, and she was just driving me straight to the ER. And she was like, I don't know. I don't even know who I'm talking to. Like, and I was just like, I want to die. Like, and I was, you're very lucid when you're talking. You're not like, it's not like you're a slurry drunk, you know, when people mm-hmm. are like, blah, blah. you know, I was just like, I, I'm, it's okay. I want to die. That's all I want to do. And if you, I think you would understand if you were in here. And she was like, what the fuck? You know, cause that's never been me. But I finally got to that place. So she and my dad drove me to the ER and they let me go to the bath. I was like, I want to go to the bathroom. And apparently I'd found some pill bottle. And uh, I'm only saying this because I want somebody to hear this and be like, I'm not so bad. Hmm. I'm only because this is horribly humiliating to say what I did. And I will probably never work again. Um, But I went into the bathroom and ended up taking this bottle of pills with toilet water. Like, got down. That's how bad. That's where I was. Was I was like, I'm doing everyone else a favor, because this is too much. I'm like a pet out of control that can't be can't be trained. You know, like a dog that's been too abused. Where you're just like, you just, this. You not just need gonna, to put it down. You just need to put it down. And I, man, and I wasn't. I, I meant it. You know, there was no like. No, like, I'm going to the bathroom. You guys aren't going to believe what I'm going to do. None of that. I was just like, I'll be right back. Apparently. Was the bathroom in your house or at the hospital? No, this is in the ER. In the How did they have a bottle of pills in there? I had it in my person. Oh, you brought it. I guess so. I mean, yeah. I don't. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and my mom, my mom was so cute. She got under, I had locked the door in mm. the bathroom. So she got underneath the bathroom door and crawled on the floor to like come knock it out of my hands and then of course they go and take me to the 
whatever emergency room i'm already there what am i talking about you know to do whatever um they did to get it out of my stomach but um later on i mean this is like a month later she was like you know i never told you this but i want you to know i really love you and i was like well i I know that i'm not confused and she's like no lauren i mean i really love you do you not know how much i hate bathroom floors <laughs> Lauren I was so mad at you I just thought I was gonna throw up down there and I thought god damn it why'd you have to commit suicide on a goddamn bathroom floor I thought I was gonna throw up I was like oh from the bathroom floor not from me and she was like well I just that's not what I meant this <laughs> is so cute um yeah but like that's where I got and and that was like May and to be where I'm at now is like like I this can't. is uh late october mm-hmm. yeah it's a I, I did a lot of work and i do a lot of work every day but like i finally got to that place where i'm like oh i have clarity i have hope and like i can work you know like i can achieve things and that feels so great i was because I, I remember the very first day because I stayed with my family for a while after that because mm. there was no other option. <laughs> and um, I have all this finance stuff that I needed to catch up on, all this stuff. And um, and it was just been laying on my floor. And I just kind of laid in my bed for a while. And I remember the day that I woke up and was like, you know what? I think I remember when I finish something that I really feel good about myself. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that today. Like, I remember feeling that. Um, and it was it was such a shift. Um, part of that is, oh, if you have PTSD, hear me now. Part of one of the, I, I can't believe we've not talked about this. One of the biggest uh, things that helped me was Prazosin. What's that? It's a... It's a PTSD medication. He's a rapper, right? He's a, he's a, that's Lil Prazosin. <laughs> uh, that's Lil Prazosin. It's, it's okay. It's okay. You've been out of the rap game for a while, Paul. <laughs> mm. um, Prazosin was something that, you know, like I said, like the birth control was part of like figuring out the puzzle pieces all mm-hmm. coming together. So that was part of it. So I'd gotten back on it then. And they were like, the hospital in Little Rock was like, so for all their, you know, uh, four-wheeling, four-wheeling uh, they got one of the biggest pieces right. Um, and they said, we're going to start you on Prazosin. And I was like, what is that? And they said, what's what we give to war vets? And the way that they figured it out, it was, it's one of those like off-brand meds, not off-brand, mm-hmm. I'm saying it wrong. Um, uh, somebody listening is going, I know it. Um that started out being used for low pr- blood pressure. Started oh, out right. being used for something else. One of the beautiful accidents of meds, Exa- like that, Viagra. Yeah. Was what was that used, for? Yeah, I think it was for balding or something. So men started turn- growing hair and dicks at the same time. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. Um, yeah. So they were treating vets with for mm. for high blood pressure, and the vets started saying, "You know what." my nightmare started going away mm. and so they started doing more testing you know because they didn't it was a total accident and they were like 
my nightmares going away, my flashbacks are better. And now that's what they give to war vets to treat, like, specifically for PTSD. Wow, that's fantastic. It, the night terrors that I have had were so disruptive to my sleep you, I, I, I wake up in a panic attack. Why do you got to be so dramatic about night terrors? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are kind of fun. Should I, yeah. should I warm them up? <laughs> um, you know, when I wake up with night terrors, uh, it's so great to have a blanket of fear. Um, I can't imagine how bad, how bad night terrors must. They're be. really real. Like oh. you feel like. You, you, you it's sometimes it's hard to like you're like did that happen like you wake up and there's a period of time where you're like is that a is that something that happened like did i see my abuser again did i see this person again because it's like that's part of it is like it's so real it's so, so real and the, the thing that's even worse about it to me is that's your sanctuary yeah. your bed the place that's your body yeah. That's your sanctuary and you can't get out of that. And that is part of the resentment that you feel that you're so frustrated because that's what I meant when I said I wanted to transfuse it out of my body. I was like, whatever this is, I, I, can you just take out the trauma? Because it's like coursing through my veins and I'm over all this shit. You know what I mean? Like I am. I don't give a shit about any of these people. I'm not emotionally attached to any of these things. I don't even care what happened. Cognitively, I mm-hmm. don't care, but it's in your body. So you wake up and you wake up even once you realize that you know, it's like, okay, that's not real. I'm not experiencing that. It doesn't matter. Your body has reacted. So like mm-hmm. your blood pressure shoots through the roof. You know, you're, um, you're sweating. You're panicked. Uh, they're you're playing ta- it over and over in your mind. Yeah. Listen, there was a time when I was actually pulling my hair out. Like, look at this. You can't see this on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I don't think I showed you this. But like, mm-hmm. that's new. <laughs> like, <laughs> from like, like I was so because you're in a state of like complete confusion, and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know where to put this. Mm. That's the big, I don't know where to put this, you know. And you think like, it's seven in the morning. Like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, you know. And so you either just check out because it's so overwhelming or like when it starts to get really bad you're just like i guess i'll i guess i'll have a drink and hopefully i can go back to bed yeah. or like i guess i'll like go eat something but i don't want you know like go make a pillow out of hummus mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's real comfy uh, that's the beyond part of bed bath and beyond that's the <laughs> secret beyond part we don't talk about it very often uh, i'm very rich now thank you is is there uh, anything else be- before <laughs> before we uh, you hit us with some fears and loves? Uh, okay, no, people are bored by now. They're not bored. They're so bored. They're like, oh, I can't wait to tell my friends all this shit. Um, no, but one thing I would say though is that. Um, you know, when you brought up, like, do people think she's crazy? Like, did people think that the only people that thought that? were um friends of my ex and it's because of shit that like he told them Mm -hmm. but it was really painful like to try and talk to people about it and um i would have people call people i was dating and be like don't date her 
they would be like, what are you talking about? Like, she's wonderful, you know? She's wonderful. And, um, and that was super hurtful. And it took a long time to forgive those people because I was like, I'm sure if they, if I heard the things that he told me, he told them, oh, he, it was, you know, he was like, I'm going to run you out of town. And that's exactly what he told me. He was like, I will run you out of town. I can't wait. Um, but I am completely comfortable in the fact that, like, I really had to just not care about what those people said. And I don't like that word, crazy. I really don't. I think it's such a disservice to people. Like, people have trauma. Even people, even the person who abused me, I met somebody in treatment um that helped me forgive him in a gross way that I, I really didn't want to. There was a priest who was in there and he had just been horribly sexually abused, horribly sexually abused. And I, poor thing. And I, as a child. Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. And all throughout his career, like as, um, as an adult, he was being sexually abused. Uh, it, it had continued like, uh, what as a young adult, I see. as a young adult. Um, and so we were in the, in the, in this hospital together and you know and he was just dear and so sad and um and then after some time i found out that he had abused people too and i like really like we had talked and like i had so much sympathy for him and then i was like oh my god you abused somebody else and i was like oh, i do not want to learn this lesson right now i do not want to <laughs> learn this lesson but that's how i was like you know anybody who could do that to somebody else had to have been traumatized themselves and that's how i look at it like anybody and that's how i look at my parents like my mom like she never did any of that stuff she was abused herself my grandmother i know was abused like it's a terrible terrible cycle you know and so rather than call people crazy you know like and rather than call him crazy, because I wanted to for a long time, just be like, I mean, that was his nickname was crazy, um, was just to say, like, somebody probably hurt him, too. I'm sure. And I'm uh, sure. and that's how I forgive him. And I, I and I forgive those people, you know, if if somebody did think that it's OK. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. say, like, it's OK. You didn't know <laughs> any of the shit that happened. And I know if they did, I know if they had known that they would um, have have been a bit more sympathetic and not said those things. So I don't know. Well, thank you for, thank you for saying that and sharing that. I think that's important. Is it? I don't yeah, know. I feel like I because, just, because you no, know, I've heard people say, uh, you know, resentment is when you take the poison and, ex and wait for somebody else to die. Yeah. It's, and I had to, yeah, I mean, I was really upset with a lot you of those can't get people. There, you can't get there in, intellectually. Mm -mm. It has to, in my opinion, it has to be done through some type of being witnessed, having some type of emotional processing, and increasing our capacity to be empathetic, mm -hmm. because um, it's yeah, it's an emotional thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's like, yeah. you know, why do I feel sorry for, why do I feel empathy uh, for serial killers, when I watch a documentary about them, yep. I'm I'm ab abhorred. I abhor what they did, but I, a little part of me can see the the sick child yeah. in in them, and and, and that's who I even I, in horror I feel movies. Sorry for it. Yeah, like and I love horror movies, and I'm like, oh, I see how they got there. Does it, you know, but we also have to learn how to set boundaries and go, Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm not going to let you in my house. Exactly. I'm never going to let you in the same. Uh, yeah, you tell me you're hurting somebody, I'm calling the fucking police. Absolutely. Yeah. 
but I I can see how you got there. Yeah, that's that's delicate. Yeah. No, let's be done with me. I, even I'm bored. Lauren Ashley Bishop, thank you uh, uh, so much. If people want to contact you, they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, at, at S Bell Lauren. It's like Southern Bell Lauren. It's a S B E L L E L A U R E N. And um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much my handle everywhere. Instagram. Okay. You can just Google my name on Tumblr. Okay. Don't Google me, actually. <laughs> Don't do that. Just look up S Bell Lauren. Thank you so much. This is such a privilege. I like how you said that with confusion on your face. Like, <laughs> no, I just like, like it's a real privilege. Like you're afraid that I don't feel the same way. I am. I'm always. Your this is a very special episode. I wake up feeling like I failed. So <laughs> no, this was. Uh, we would not have gone um, 138 minutes, oh, 139 geez. minutes. Oh God, I'm so if, sorry. If I didn't feel that you had something to share. Oh boy. Next episode, <laughs> my step family. Good night. <laughs> Many, many thanks to Lauren. Uh, you know, you would think this show now being at the two hour and 20 mark, I would say, you know, we're, we're not going to do any uh, surveys. Uh, no, I'm going to do some fucking surveys and I'm going to do some emails because uh, I'm, 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 I'm finally starting to believe that the length of the show um if you don't want to keep listening, you can pause it or you can erase it or whatever. And enough of you have reached out and said, we like the long episodes. So, so suck on this. Um, before I do get to that, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the show. Um, you can uh, support us financially by going to the website, mentalpod.com, and making a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation, which helps greatly to keep the show going. Um, it's a bit of a shoestring uh, budget, and I would love to be able to expand the show, bring some more money in, and you know, be able to pay people to, to do things, and you know, maybe to travel and do some uh, record people in other cities or even other countries. So I uh, got lots of ideas, but we don't have much of a budget for it. So any any bit helps. And you can also, uh, if you're going to buy something uh, for Christmas through Amazon and you haven't done it yet, enter through the search portal on our homepage. It's on the right-hand side about halfway down. And they give us a couple of nickels and it doesn't cost you anything. And you can support us non-financially by spreading the word through social media and uh, writing something nice on iTunes. All right, let's get to these. This is... Um, this was an email I got from uh, a woman who calls herself Jay, and she writes, um, "I'm writing you this. But, well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit some of this just to just to shorten it a bit. She uh, she's a lesbian, and her partner um, has a borderline personality disorder, and uh, they do go to therapy. And she said." Um, she asked me a few questions, not her therapist. This is when they were home. She'd just come home tired from from work, and she, her partner um, was wanted her attention. And uh, so she writes, she asked me a few questions sporadically, and as I was tired and spacey, they didn't register for me at first. So I said, what? By the fourth time this happened, she was visibly annoyed and accused me of being a bitch and ignoring her. This infuriated me because I feel like I give so much of myself to her to support and take care of her, and she knew I'd had a long day. 
We proceeded to have an argument that made me even more upset, and I said I couldn't deal with it right then and was going to go to the living room for a bit. She proceeded to block the door and refused to let me leave, despite my pleading. I feel uh, I felt a sense of suffocation. Oh, I feel a sense of suffocation when we're fighting, and she doesn't give me space. And at this particular moment, I was so upset about the argument itself and that she was physically trapping me in the room that I grabbed her and shoved her out of my way. She was pushing back with all of herself and I still wasn't able to get out of the room. We both acknowledged and apologized for our wrongdoings, but I don't know how to feel about this. I've been crying on and off all of last night and this morning. She forgave me for it and says she deserved it, uh, but she also says she's scared it might happen again, which breaks my heart considering she has a history of being abused by her parents. I don't want my girlfriend to be scared of me. I wish I could go back in time and react differently. I told her she didn't deserve it and that shoving your partner is never excusable. I do wish she respected my space more and didn't make me feel trapped, but I don't think that excuses what I did. I feel so bad about it. I feel like a monster. And then she goes, she goes, uh, on some more beating herself up. And I wrote her back and I said, uh, I think what you're forgetting is that her trapping you in the room is every bit as much of a physical violation as pu- pushing her out of the way is. Um, and I asked, has she ever tried dialectical behavior therapy uh, that she might get a lot out of it? Um, your, your partner has no control over having borderline personality disorder, but she does have control over seeking tools to manage it as much as possible. And you deserve that from your partner. You should both forgive yourselves and use it as a moment to realize that you both need to develop more tools to communicate. All couples do. So don't feel shame. Uh, you're not alone in that. I didn't start developing any until 15 years into my fucking relationship because I didn't know any better. or I was too clueless to realize I needed help. So she wrote back and said, uh, that her partner is actually about to start a six-month intensive uh, DBT program that includes group and individual therapy. So hopefully that'll be helpful to her and us. And uh, that, I, I fucking love reading that. You know, it it doesn't matter where you've you've been as much as where you're what you're committed to do to try to make the future better. This is um, a struggle in a sentence filled out by uh, a trans man uh, who calls himself uh, Trans G Emily. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, trans uh, trans female, uh, male to female, uh, who calls uh, herself um, uh, Trans G Emily, and she is by in her 30s and about. Um, let's see. About her depression, my bones are made of iron and my muscles have dissolved. About her anxiety, I'm going to vomit a neutron bomb of shame on a stranger's cock before they get the chance to orgasm. I'm not even sure what that means, but that is one of the uh, most unforgettable sentences I've ever seen typed up. I'm going to vomit a neutron bomb of shame on a stranger's cock before they get the chance to orgasm. About her anorexia, feeling my bones through my skin fills me with a paralytic lust. Um, About her love addiction, please just take care of me forever. About her sex addiction, there are no depths I won't sink to so long as I am yours. That is so fucking powerful and profound. There are no depths I won't sink to so long as I am yours. Wow. Um, about being a sex crime victim. Sometimes I see her laughing at me in the corner of my eye. Uh, About experiencing sexual bias. Nearly all boys are untrustworthy pieces of shit. Fuck them. Snapshot from her life. I'm drooling from the drugs. 
that thing feels far too large to be inside me. I'm not special anymore. I deserve this. My blood is where her semen would have been if she was a boy. That is so heavy. It is so heavy. Sending you some love, Emily. This is a happy moment uh, filled out by Peter's mom. And uh, she writes, I was at Toys R Us and my son in a wheelchair asked a tall black man if he was Michael Jordan. And he responded, no. So my son, age three, started to cry. So he responded with, for you today only, I am Michael Jordan. His big heart made me so happy. Thank you for that. This is an email I got from a listener uh, named Tobin, and she writes, writing again, sick of me yet? I want to comment on your discussion of abortion. You said you didn't know how you feel about abortion. Then it seemed like you excused yourself for not being an ally of the pro-choice movement or having a view in this issue because you are a cisgendered man. Um, while you always treat women, trans people, and genderqueer people who have had abortions with respect when they disclose it on your show, I was disappointed you didn't come out swinging for the reproductive rights of people who can get pregnant. Uh, and then she, there, there's more to the email, um, but she closes it saying, much love, keep doing what you're doing. You're fighting the good f- fight, and I cannot express my gratitude enough. If I read your views on abortion incorrectly, please tell me to go fuck myself. And... Um, And I wrote back and said, I guess I should have clarified that I am pro-choice, but I was speaking as if if my partner were pregnant, I wouldn't know what my opinion would be. I would be very torn, but I am am pro-choice. So um, there you have it. Uh, This is a struggle in a sentence, and this is filled out by a, a woman who calls herself Jane. Uh, I love this one about her uh, depression. It feels like a filter has been applied to all your senses and only allows things to pass through if it makes you feel worse about yourself. That is fantastic. That is awfulsome. That is awfulsome about her PTSD, like I will never be safe. And if I do let my guard down, something bad will happen and I will have deserved it for my lapse in vigilance. Snapshot from her life. Last month, my PTSD flared up so bad I started having nightmares, had auditory hallucinations that woke me up and convinced me someone else was in the house. Heart racing, fearful for my life. I would leap out of bed. After searching all the rooms and turning all the lights and realizing my brain was playing tricks on me, I would break down crying. This happened every night for two weeks straight. I thought I was going insane and was going to die from lack of sleep. Wow, that is so so intense. I'm so sorry that you have to experience that. Sending you some love. This is filled out by, I don't know if this is supposed to be pronounced, uh, I guess it's pronounced Wiener. Um, uh, Wiener is genderqueer and writes, uh, this is an awfulsome moment. My friends and I had driven three hours to get to the show. Several artists were playing and while only the headliner was really famous, one of the openers in particular had been very impactful in my life. I had a strong emotional connection to his music and seeing him live meant a lot to me. His set was wonderful and afterwards he was standing by his merch table talking to a few people here and there. I planned everything out in my head because I wanted to make sure I didn't embarrass myself. I went over the plan again and again. I would walk up, shake his hand and say, hey, I really love your music. It's an honor to shake your hand. And then I would walk away before I had a chance to do anything stupid. It was a simple and perfect plan. I walked up, I put out my hand, he took it in his own, I panicked and shouted, I really love shaking your hand. 
I turned and ran. <laughs> well, I tell you, a good, awful moment is fucking Christmas to me. If you guys have awful moments and you and happy moments and you haven't shared them yet, please, please go fill those out. You go to the website, you click on surveys, and then click on take the surveys. There's about a dozen you can take, but those just, they're Christmas to me. That's another way you can support the show is go take the surveys, especially those two. Uh, this is an email that we got. Um, let's see, how does she want me to refer to her? Uh, okay, Kristen. And let's see. Okay. Uh, it's a very long email, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, she writes, uh, I'm just going to read you like one-tenth of what she shares. I'm 21 years old. Since I was in middle school, my mom has been belittling me, speaking to me as if I'm an idiot, saying I'm good for nothing, I know nothing about nothing, and always speaking to me in a condescending tone. Um, I've always been, I've been raised in an environment where I was essentially expected to impress people rather than just do my best and be myself. Um, uh, I'm mixed race. My mother is Hispanic, and my father, who is pretty much out of the picture, is black. Uh, racially, I'm black. Um, and then she goes on to describe how her mother makes uh, jokes about blacks and um, on and on and on. And then uh, she mentions that her mom has, has, breaks into her sister's room by twisting the doorknob until the lock gives way. Uh, and it's now broken and her mom will often just open the door walking in without knocking. Uh, her friends will talk about how lucky she is to have a mom like hers, and her mom will use comments like that. Um, and the good thing she does as a parent and use it against them whenever uh, her sister or her are being in ungrateful, in her opinion, uh, when we try to ex express our, our negative feelings towards something that is happening. Um, and she has one friend who is like buddy-buddy with her mom, and the two of them kind of team up and pick on her. And the very first sentence of her email that I wanted to hold off on reading till now, which is, I hope this is the right spot for messages like these. I'm contacting you because I'm slightly confused on whether the way my mother treats me is emotional abuse or if I'm just being overly dramatic. Let's just let that soak in. Let's just let that fucking soak in. And I did write her back, and uh, you can imagine what I said. So, sending her some love. It, it, you know, it's our normal when we're raised with, you know, with a parent who is a textbook narcissist like that. Um, it's gaslighting as a motherfucker. It is. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself uh, Shepherd. And about his love addiction, he writes, looking into your eyes and seeing you really looking back into mine is the only time I feel complete. About his OCD, if I don't chew the same number of times on both sides of my mouth, I will probably choke and die. About having celiac disease, no, I can't just pull the fucking croutons off of the salad. 20 parts per million of contamination will still make me sick for days. It's not a fad, it's survival. And then a snapshot from his life, 
Uh, he writes, I have a brain disorder called nonverbal learning disability. It's mild autism in the same family as Asperger's. My issue is that I misread people all the time, whether it's a friend or the dude behind me in line at the grocery store. I think everyone hates me, is mad at me, and that I've done everything wrong. It's frustrating because there's no medication specifically for this brain issue. I just have strategies to use. I don't make new friends often because I worry about saying something that is wrong. Teachers used to think I had a stutter because I would get stuck on one syllable, but it was because my mind was racing to work out every contingency for the backlash to what I was saying. It's better knowing what it is, but it still sucks to be hypersensitive to everything. Sending you some love, Shepard. Am I being cheap with the love tonight? Am I being a whore with the podcast love? You can you can tell me. You can tell me if I've become loose. If, if, if the podcast love has been cheapened, this is uh, an awfulsome moment from uh, Peter's mom again, and uh, the awfulsome moment, I was with all my extended family in a hospital coffee shop huddled together waiting to hear if my 14-month-old baby boy was still alive when a neighbor came in and started chatting about how her son got something in his eye and may need surgery. Then she looked around, realizing that my whole family was there and asked why we were all there, and I responded, waiting to hear if mine is alive or dead. That might have to go in the awfulsome Hall of Fame. This is Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a woman who calls herself World of Noise. And uh, yeah, this is a heavy one. This is a lot of really... um, I have to read all of these because I, 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 all of the issues that she has because, um, A, because I just want to give her a fucking hug, um, but B, because uh, so many th- times these things are just interrelated and, and you can't just pull one thing out and I think this is just a great example of the interrelatedness of uh, mental health and trauma and addiction uh, about her depression and she's in her 20s her, her depression she writes a black rotting hole where my heart used to be emptiness I do not know who I am anymore or what I like I'm scared about her anxiety a soul corroding unsettled energy that I can't shake about uh, her drug addiction mind numbing needle infatuation that makes existing just tolerable enough about her anorexia rules OCD you must obey one second of exhilaration for days weeks months of work 90 pounds 87 85 82 75 not good enough obey just get to 55 and it will be okay the trauma will fade starve it away about her OCD even numbers word associated numbers anorexia's best friend obey the number system or something bad will happen I am your security about her codependency. She is codependent on me. I allow it because I'm exhausted and numb. About her PTSD, darker than the darkest dark. Hypervigilance, suffocating fear, body memories, a monstrosity that has taken residence inside of me that I cannot evict, only shut off temporarily by starving or using IV drugs. Hopeless, scared, uh, scared I will never feel safe or free about being a sex crime victim, my fault, shame, unclean on the inside, disgusted by the outside. I want to sew my vagina shut and cut off my breasts. Filth. I am filth. 
about having a physical handicap, complications and health consequences from anorexia, um, about having a mental handicap, uh, prison, misunderstood, a loneliness that I feel in the pit, pit of my stomach. I'm not sure what the, what the mental handicap is. Um, about living with an abuser. At times it feels like I exist solely for this person's pleasure. Disassociate or die. I am fucking pathetic. Anorexia is my only true friend. Weak. I deserve to be treated badly. I don't deserve to kill myself. Um, uh, anger issues. Angry at the inhumanity that exists. Um, and uh, she writes that she will not leave her house for months at a time and scared that she will never be okay uh, around people again. And then this is a snapshot from her life. And I hope anybody who works in um, the hospitals or has any kind of control over something, I I never realized, well, let me read the snapshot first. Pulling out my G-tube and IV in the hospital in the middle of a flashback because it was the only thing I could think of to do to try to ground myself. The nurse I had didn't understand what was going on and I ended up getting restrained to the bed and deemed a danger to myself which resulted in fighting through flashbacks for what seemed like fucking forever because I essentially couldn't move my arms or legs. It was the only time I wasn't afraid to kill myself and if I wasn't cuffed to the bed I would have just... Uh, I would have just to make reliving everything fucking stop. The level of loneliness and lack of control I felt at that time was excruciating, like being raped all over again. It never occurred to me that, you know, I've learned so much in this episode today about PTSD and, and flashbacks, and I really hope to God that there can be more education for non for mental issues in situations where um, some other issue is being treated so people it's we're fucking complicated Uh, this is an email I got I love this email this is from uh, a guy who uh, calls himself uh, Invisible Dan and he writes I listened to your latest episode in the email from fuckface uh with a kind of bemusement. Fuckface was a um, teenager who was afraid that uh, she was never going to get laid. And if I remember correctly, I want to say she was like around 16 or 17. And also she felt very alone because um, she was not cisgendered and uh, was wanting to dress more masculine but didn't really have the money to buy the clothes that she wanted anyway. Uh, he writes, if she's listening, I want to tell her that she'll be all right and that it's more important to be comfortable with yourself than trying to live up to some ideal concept of romance. Killing yourself when you're 30 because you haven't kissed anyone or lost your virginity is something that I could have believed in when I was a teenager, but at 40, it just makes me chuckle. Yes, at 40 years of age, I've never kissed anyone, never had sex, never even held hands in a romantic manner. I do want to, but things just have never worked out like I wanted. A combination of bad luck, crippling shyness, and a complete lack of self-esteem have kept my right hand busy all these years. But after years of loneliness, I won't kill myself if I never have sex with a girl. Maybe it's that fuck-it-all attitude that comes with age, but I found that I don't worry about it too much anymore. I don't think life is just a list of things you're expected to do on some imaginary schedule and then you die. 
My life will be spent trying to do the things I want when I want, and if some of those things remain undone, well, so be it. If someone had told me at 16 years old that I would be 40, a virgin, unemployed, and living with my parents, I probably would have shit myself out of fear. But these past few years have been spent taking care of my family, learning, reading, writing, and enjoying what I can, so they weren't wasted. I still have hope that someday I might experience romantic love before I die. After all, I see some ugly motherfuckers with girlfriends, so I think I have a chance. One of my favorite emails ever. And then finally, we have a uh, happy moment from Jane. And she writes, I'm still coming to terms with the fact I was recently diagnosed with PTSD and depression. I was at the VA clinic and had just finished speaking with a psychiatrist, which brought up painful memories. I was sitting in the lounge and waiting for my name to be called for blood work, fighting back tears and feeling lonely, sad, and at an all-time low. The night before, I'd only gotten three hours of sleep, and those three hours were filled with nightmares. As I sat there, tired and miserable, a group of special needs children came through and handed out handmade Christmas cards, randomly walking up to veterans and thanking them for their service. I was so overwhelmed and touched. Everything just came out at once, and I started crying uncontrollably, feeling happy and wonderful and all the other things previously described. I only recently started listening to the podcast, and hearing other people be open, honest, and brave in sharing their struggles inspired me to post what had uh, transpired on Facebook. It was a moment that just had to be shared. Up until that point, only my husband and mom knew anything was wrong at all. I was too afraid to tell anyone else my internal struggles. In an emotionally charged moment of not giving a fuck and giving all the fucks, I made the post. Within hours, hours, I was receiving emails, phone calls, and texts from friends, family, and acquaintances pouring out their love, support, and just the sweetest, kindest messages. I could barely handle all of the positive energy coming my way. It was simultaneously one of the worst and best days of my life. My mental illness had warped my opinion of myself. I was feeling broken and worthless. But here was irrefutable evidence that I am loved by so many. I would never have had the courage to share that experience with others if it wasn't for this podcast. So thank you so much. Just really wanted to read that because I look good at the end. Don't really give a shit about her. That is such a beautiful moment. That is just... That is just... I just I love the moments on the podcast where I, I just don't even where silence just seems like the most appropriate thing. And uh, thank you so much for that, Jane. And thank you, Lauren. And thank you all the people that help keep this show going. And um, hang in there. The holidays are hard. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but my feeling about the holidays is. I kind of wish it was like the Olympics that we did it once every four years and in another country. But uh, uh, if you don't care for them, hang on. They're, there's not too much of them left. And if you do enjoy them, have a great time. And um, just remember you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I in know some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.